Cowboys, cowboys. You're with my cowboys. Yo ho, yo ho, a pirate's life for me. Bang, bang. (laughs) More dope. Hello and welcome to another episode of Lore Dump, the show where we take someone who hasn't played a game and walk them through the full story. I am Monty Zander and I'm joined by Chase. Yeah, cowboys. That's not going on your mic. That's going to have to go on mine. Ah! Uh, Neil. Yeah, cowboys. And uh, Neil is going to be walking us through Red Dead Redemption 1 today. Yes. Um, and I'm very excited because yeah, it's been a too. decade, over a decade since I last played this one. I thought you were going to say since we last recorded. So <laughs> because famously, like... famously, I died, as pointed out in the, in the last episode. I've returned from the dead. We're back to Red Dead. A theme which we might touch on in next uh, the next episode. Bioshock? What is that? I've not heard of it before. <laughs> I've never heard of Bioshock. Yes. Um, but yeah, so we're going to talk about cowboys, going to talk about pirates. When did this game come out? Why are we talking about pirates? Because it's all about pirates. This game came... We're talking about pirates because I recently finished One Piece. <laughs> 1,096 chapters of mwah, stellar pirate facts. <laughs> you didn't finish though, because it's like... Well, I mean, it's, it's still ongoing, but I caught up. To date, yes. I'm to date. Yes. Um, sorry, so serious question. When did this come out? Because I haven't played this, this since this, release. This game came out in 2010. Holy crap. So it was an interesting time for Rockstar. Um, they had in 2004 released Red Dead Revolver. We covered some of this in the Red Dead 2 episode because um, anyone who hasn't listened to that one, we started with 2 um, for reasons that will make sense to anyone that's familiar with the games. Um, I'll just say it now. 1 is set after 2. Um, so That's not how numbers work. I know. Why is it not Red Dead 0? <laughs> Red Dead 0. Thank you, uh, Yakuza, for bringing this <laughs> this new way of speaking into our, our, uh, our booth. Yakuza next year, everybody. Um, so 2004... They released Red Dead Revolver. It got fairly good reviews. Um, It was sort of linear, sort of explorable areas, though, level-based cowboy shooter with some sort of big characters. People liked the gameplay. People were like, meh, on the story. It got pretty good, like sort of 7 out of 10s, I think. Um, And then a few years later, I mean, they started working on Red Dead Redemption in, I think, 2006. Wow. It was a long and very difficult uh, uh, process. Um, They released a tech demo for it. People assumed it was going to be a straight sequel to Revolver. Uh, And then they revealed in 2009 the trailer, um, I think February 2009, and it was uh, uh, an open world game. The first cowboy game of its time. And I swear I had never been more excited. There is a a journal somewhere from when I was about nine where I I had drafted... A game that I was going to make when I was older. Obviously, I ended up with none of the skills uh, or or desire. But I drafted a game where you could go into Cowboy Times, buy ammo, and go into the saloon. And this was everything I ever wanted. So this game released in 2010. Uh, famously, uh, this year, got a, uh, <laughs> a, a, a remake or remaster, which dropped to... Uh, Rave reviews. It's uh, garbage. People noting that (laughs) it looked exactly the same, just with maybe uh, slightly, you know, it's an HD now or 4K or whatever. In some ways, Chase, it looks worse. I love when that happens. I love when that happens. Because they didn't redo anything. It's the same assets. It's just, you know, crisped up. The lighting's a bit more modern. Ran so, it, it through the old AI. Yeah, well, probably. And they charge 50, 50 quid for it. Oh. You know, 60, 70 dollars for it. Much like the GTA um, remasters, which were also like yeah. real garbage. So, people, were, people, people were so excited about this, thinking that they might, you know, in a dream world, put it into... I mean, you saw some of the screenshots of, of 2. It's a gorgeous game. We thought that it might be the same engine. It was not. Doesn't matter. We're talking about the original release, or the new one, it doesn't make a difference, 
um, which was released to critical acclaim in mm. 2010. Chase, it's been a while since we did this. Oh dear God! Okay. I would like you to maybe recap what we what what happened in the first time or the second game. Of course, anything for you, Lenny. <laughs> yes, yes, Lenny. <laughs> um, also, uh, what's his name? Fucks a wolf. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, as we clarified, Abigail, Abigail the wolf. I remember Abigail. Yes. she's locked in here. Fan she howls in my dreams. Fan every night. favorite character, John Marston, our big dumb boy, thinks yeah. that his wife is a wolf. So- <laughs> and anyone who and anyone who hasn't listened to the two parter we know on two. Go and do it. It's a good place to start. Uh, one of the takeaways we came in with, or these two came away with, is that John Marston is dumb as a bag of rocks. Oh, um, but it's okay, because his heart's in the right place. His heart's in the right place. We love a hembo. Very quickly, Chase, do you want to respond to the many comments we got where people were really upset at the fact that you didn't think Red Dead 2 was any good? I'm sorry for not feeding your echo chamber. I like JRPGs, not cowboys. I think, I think they gave it a 7 out of 10. Also, yeah. I gave it a 7 out of... I think it was like a seven and a half out of ten. Yeah. I gave it a good score. Yeah, a, a yeah. couple of things on this. I just didn't respond right. to the emotional moment. I think it's useful for us to kind of point out to our audience that we are friends in real life. This isn't a job or anything. We do this for fun. And it is inevitable in a show like this where we are introducing games to each other that they don't know that we won't like every game we cover when we're the person not who doesn't know anything about the game. We're going to do Yakuza next year. I've played three hours of Yakuza and I thought and it was fine. It. You know, so I'm excited to maybe have that perspective changed. I'm going to make you love it. Th- th- I well, can't to be wait. fair, you've, you've succeeded once. Yes, I um, know. But th- th- I just want to clarify that it is inevitable that we will not like every game we ever cover on this show. It's part of the fun, okay? Especially next year when Neil and I have do fun. games. <laughs> Have fun when Neil and I cover games that are definitely not in Chase's wheelhouse. Superheroes. The trailer's out. Are superheroes lower on your preference list than cowboys? Yes. <gasps> I can't wait for this. <laughs> I am going to make you cry, Spider-Man. Credit, 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 credit. Um, I think that I will, I, we're doing a tirade into next year's, I think I'm going to really like the Arkham games because they're fucking bad shit. Yes, I think you'll really, oh, pun intended. Um, sorry, <laughs> and, anyway, so just, just wanted to point that out, Neil, back to you, let's kick off Red Dead Redemption so, so 1. In the last game, uh, as a brief recap, we followed the, the, the last few months of the life of Arthur Morgan. Spoilers, but I have warned Rest you to go peace. and listen. Rest in peace. Uh, and the back, sort of the last fifth of the game, maybe sixth of the game, we switched over to playing as John Marston. Um, now, out of the gang after he was betrayed, left behind one too many times, uh, Dutch, the leader of the gang, had gone mad with power or perhaps had always been this terrible guy. We're not sure. Um, it, it both could be possible. Um Mad so, with power, he just kind of went a bit stupid and started following a moron. Yeah. Who, if I remember right, isn't dead? No, Micah dead. No, Micah oh, you're thank thinking God. of. Thank Micah's God. dead. Um, Dutch, at the end of the game, um, there's a confrontation between Micah, John, and Dutch at the top of a mountain. Um, Dutch, Dutch out of Micah. nowhere, shoots Micah and I walks off without saying a word. Dutch is alive. So Dutch could potentially... Dutch is alive. Uh, at the end of 2, Dutch is alive, for could, sure. Could potentially come back. Arthur was a, an original character for 2, so isn't referenced by name in this. <laughs> um, because he did not exist. They've all just forgotten about him. Can be slightly jarring about the, the order that we're doing this in, but we're going to go for it anyway. So, Red Dead Redemption 1, which it wasn't called 1 at the time. Exodus in America. We open on a port. 
paddle steamer is docking as the piano soundtrack rings out the bitter notes of endings and new beginnings. We see a motor car being lifted from the boat to a ramshackle dock. I really want one of those cars. Cars have gotten so crap over the years. And I know it's it's to, for the sake of the environment, so fair enough, but like you look at old well, cars. You could definitely well, retrofit that with an electric engine. Yeah, probably. however, if you, crashed, if you crashed, for anyone looking, we're, we're looking at a sort of, I guess it's like a Ford Model T looking thing. And I suppose this shot is to kind of juxtapose end of the old west. Here is a car being lifted onto an old Industry. west dog. But if this thing crashed, it would fold like a box of, <laughs> of napkins, you know. Um, and parallel parking that thing would be a bitch. And it can part go at 20 feels, miles an hour. <laughs> part of me feels like in the the, the year of our <laughs> satanic lord, as the Bible reminds us, <laughs> 2023, I feel like we could like fairly easily make that as like a DIY project. Is that it? Lord Do you know how to make an internal combustion engine? No, 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 no. That's my point is if, if you got like some electric engines, right? you know, hooked up to a controller, I feel like the body itself... There's not much going on. Easy. Yeah, there's no power steering. There's no anti-lock brakes. Anyway, we're just talking about cars now. They're the scientists. We're the, we're artists. Yeah, we we can't I, do anything. I, just, I mean, I can make you the software for it. <laughs> <laughs> I built I built robots once upon a time in high school. I could do that. Among the passengers disembarking the boat, we see a familiar a familiar cowboy. <laughs> Hold on for a second. What? what? There's something about this photo mm-hmm. that I'm I'm. I'm Assuming that's John. Yes. Yes. Cool. Hi, John. Why does he have cat whiskers? Oh, those no. are the scar, the wolf scars. scars. He had that in the last game. Oh no! From yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. Abigail made him look he like a cat him. girl. Now, here's the thing about this game, which I found when writing this script and replaying the game. You think John is dumb. The people in this game make John look like one of the smarter people in this world. No. John comes away from this game looking a lot better, really in my better. opinion. He's he's had some time now. Yeah. You know, it, it really looks like he's he's thriving in his eager cat girl ways. Jack's been reading books to him, right? Him and Abigail. Jack, well, Jack, Jack was sort of trying to teach his mum to read. But yeah, Jack Jack's, uh, uh, re- reads a lot of books. Do you remember sort of, just very briefly the kind of sting at the end of the last game um, during the... So John and Abigail got married in the loveliest sort of scene in the game. Yeah. Um, and there is a sort of sting during the, the compilation of their lives starting together. We see the two agents, the Pinkerton agents, watching from a distance. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So, yes. you know... Agent Ross. Agent Ross from the last game. So if you remember, the Pink, the, the lead Pinkerton agent was killed, but his crony, Agent Ross, yes. was still alive. Do you remember that? Two lawmen <laughs> escort him down the town. Oh, well. And Yuzi stands in the corner selling papers. Extra, extra, health benefits of smoking. Extra, extra, read all about it. And the cops shove him aside. Can you, can you confirm? Uh, no, I cannot confirm. Oh, damn. <laughs> extra, extra, Bill Williamson's gang. Bill down. Williamson's gang? They walk down the street together. The black thought he was living on Jack's house. No. no, that's Uncle Uncle. No. That's Uncle Uncle. Oh, exactly. Bill Williamson is the character that's dumber than John. The big dumb brute. Yeah. Um, he was on. Who was with Micah? Was that's, his, right, yeah, that's right, that's right, that's yeah. right. He's um, coming back. Are either of these agents Agent Ross? Uh, that is Agent Ross standing on John's left. The, the mustachioed shorter man. That's Agent Ross. He is aged poorly. Um, <laughs> I, 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 think, I think he is grey. can either put that down to we can say maybe a year's past or we can put it down to this being 2010. <laughs> 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 he does really suit the bowler hat though. He does, doesn't he? Mm. Um, Bring bowler hats back. They walk down the street together to Blackwater Station. We Bring get our back. title. Bring hats back. <laughs> <laughs> Almost halfway through the first page. Um, 
So sorry. So just to, because we this is chaos. John Marston has gotten off a boat. He's being esco- escorted by two agents, and, and he's that's all I really could have said. And there, he's yeah. a cat girl. <laughs> okay. John Marston has stepped off a boat with two agents. He's clearly <laughs> being escorted to the station by these two. He's so. not in handcuffs, was he? No. Oh. He is not in handcuffs. So they're besties. Um, they escort him onto the train. Um, where they leave him, basically, to go off on his own on the train here. While the train thunders through the Old West environs, we hear some conversations around us. Um, We hear two ladies sitting behind John. Well, I, for one, am grateful, Miss Bush. They are finally bringing civilization to this savage land. I could not agree with you more, my dear. My daddy settled this land, and I know he'll be looking down on us, pleased by how we help the natives. Oh, dear. Oh, no. You think that's bad? The other one replies, yes, they've lost their land, but they've gained access to heaven. <laughs> oh, dear God. Oh, God. <laughs> you know that that's, like, I know this is supposed to be very silly Rockstar satire, but that's definitely things that people said back in the day. Oh, this this like, game, so, yeah. so I would I would say I think the Red Dead games do a better job, much better job than anything Grand Theft Auto comes close to, because I think mm. those games, their commentary is just crap. But it does t- attempt to tackle the serious issues in 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 a w- in a rockstar kind of way. I mean, it's not brilliant, and I, I sincerely doubt they had much kind of input from First Nations or uh, 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 any kind of indigenous and, people. And Dutch but... at the end of Red Dead Two, Dutch basically ignited the flames Dutch, of Dutch, yeah. a massacre of the native people. Oh, Dutch, God, yeah. So, so <laughs> Dutch, Dutch took advantage of um, the passions of the kind of younger generation. Um, of of uh, uh, yeah, uh, a native people, and uh, against the wishes um, of their chief, and got a bunch of them killed. And, and Rain and Falls was the son. Eagle Flies was the son. Eagle Rain Flies falls, died. Right? Eagle Flies died, and Rain Falls. When we last see him, is having to leave to Canada because yeah. there's nothing there for him anymore. Um, so yeah, Dutch fully took advantage of that to essentially just make a distraction so the gang could get away. In front, uh, John listens to a conversation between uh, uh, a reverend and a young lady next to him. The young lady's called Jenny, and she says, But Father, do you mean unless an innocent receives communion, they're destined to go to hell? That hardly seems fair. What I mean to say, Jenny, is there is a great deal of difference between an innocent and a savage. Jenny said, I never thought of it that way. Yes, they live like animals, but they're happier now. She then later says, Not only do people have motor cars, Father, I heard pretty soon we'll be able to fly. Father says, no. The old, ma- the, the old preacher says, no, angels can fly, Jenny. No, no, apparently people can fly. Didn't you hear? Out in Kansas, a man even got a car to fly. He says, I hardly think so, Jenny. <laughs> Behind him, the two ladies say, apparently Mr. Johns wants to run for governor, which is why he's so concerned with cleaning up the state. The other woman says, Nate Johns? She says, yes. His family are nothing but hillbilly trash who came here after the war. I don't want to be judgmental, but this this state should not be ruled by such a disgusting family. Oh, not judgmental at all. A family without class. (laughs) I don't like this train. No, no, these people suck. Um, uh, In front... Um, you hear the reverend say, what you must remember, my dear, is we've been brought here to spread the word. The word and civilization, they're the same thing. They are the gifts. It's the opportunity we have, the chance to live among people who are decent and who do not kill each other and who let you worship in peace. The irony. Mm-hmm. Um, she says it's very confusing. She finds it impossible to make the distinction between a loving act and a hateful one. I mean, often they seem to be the same thing. He says, yes, Jenny, it's very confusing, but you only have to ask me if you need help. We disembark in the sleepy frontier town of Armadillo. This place is 
just one-to-one whatever you're imagining if you're listening along with an old west town it's uh, uh wooden buildings on struts uh there's the first thing we see is the saloon when we come out of the station dirt track road uh, horses parked up, <laughs> hitched up at the side of the road. This isn't a location from Red Dead 2. This is a new town? No. We can... The, the entire map of Red Dead 1, essentially, for the most part, apart from one big bit, is in Red Dead 2. Wow. When we come here years before as um, as Arthur, I believe I'm right in saying, correct me if this is... I'm thinking of Tumbleweed. The, the town has had a cholera outbreak, so it's kind of like... People have left it or the people that are there are kind of holed up. So there's not much going on at that time. But right now, it's a kind of thriving, thriving town. How many years after the end of Red Dead 2 is this? Good question. It's a matter of months, maybe a year. Okay. It's it's not been that long. Cool. Which we can kind of infer by, you know, we know that they just built their farm. We know that the agents were watching them in two. Um, so we can infer they probably didn't wait that long to, to go and speak to John. <laughs> He heads into the saloon to meet his contact, and a bearded old creep fondling a girl on a couch calls out to him. Mr. Marston, over here. I'm doing the same voice for everyone. You must be John Marston. We hear for the first word from John. He says, sometimes. I'm Jake. Your friends from Blackwater have hired me to guide you. They ain't my friends, but pleased to meet you, Jake. He says he's not taken anyone up there in a long time. It's not a place for decent fellas. John says, who says I'm a decent fellow? <laughs> he says he's looking for an old friend. Jake says, ain't we all? It was the marshal who hired me, Lee Johnson. Do you know him? He says he got a telegram from some Blackwater big bugs asking for a guide. I guess it's none of my business. John says, you're right. It's not his business. You're not very talkative, are you? No. <laughs> <laughs> he, he learned from the best. <laughs> they arrive, even if I'll never mention <laughs> They arrive at Fort Mercer. Okay. Um, our our contact bids us farewell. He's obviously afraid of this place. Everyone seems to be a bit afraid of this place. Classic old American castles. Yeah, kind of fort. Um, <laughs> old a rundown army fort. John approaches the gate alone, and he calls out, "Bill, Bill, I've come for you, Bill Williamson. Come out here right now." Bill comes back. Go away, John. Don't make me kill you. <laughs> Nobody needs to kill anyone, Bill. Bill pops his head over the wall, his rifle fixed on John. You must think I was born yesterday. You always did think I was an idiot. (laughs) That ain't fair, Bill. You was as my brother. I've come to try and save you. Two henchmen join him on the wall. Do I look like I need saving? Bill, please. They want to kill us all. I can help you. Well, you never tried to save me before. Only seemed to save yourself. Bill, I implore you, think about this. Bill, this really winds up, Bill. He goes, implore me? You implore me? You always were one for fancy words. <laughs> well, things are different now, John. I'm in charge. No more Dutch. No more you. Implores. I, I implores you to go back and tell them to send someone just a little bit more impressive next time. Oof. <laughs> John says, well... Draws his gun and is immediately shot oh. uh, by the men at the wall. Um, he collapses. John. Bill, Bill laughs. And then we play the remainder of the game as Bill. <laughs> <laughs> Bill's our hero now. Look at that face. That's the face of a hero. Yeah. Um, 
Bill says, poor John, and they leave him for dead outside. Jeez, and that's the end of Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> <laughs> you never leave without checking the body. So does yeah. Bill have any other gang members in there with him from the fir- from two, or is it just him? Uh, not that we see. Um, Bill seems, it's the Williamson gang right. are, are now uh, a force to be reckoned with in this, in this area. Who is following uh, Bill uh, into battle? Bigger idiots, I guess. <laughs> um, he has got a sizable gang. Um, who are legitimately um, causing havoc in the local area. His big brain. Big brain Bill. (laughs) That's what they call him. (laughs) At night, a woman and a man arrive in a wagon. They find John's body, put it in the back of their wagon, and drive off. John awakes a few days later in a one-bedroom shack he's been resting in. A woman comes in to check on us. This is Bonnie McFarlane. Bonnie. Love Bonnie. Yeah, Bonnie's, uh, spoilers, Bonnie's the best. Bonnie is our new Sadie. <laughs> uh, uh, they're, yeah, they're no, yeah I, I, I don't mean that in like a, like a badass bounty hunter way. I just mean like favorite character. Yeah. She says, well, you're alive. So it would seem. How do, John sort of permanently sounds hurt, I've realized, in my, my voice of <laughs> him. I'm also liking, I'm 99% sure that you've just given John now Arthur's now voice. Ar- Arthur's Arthur's going to lower down. John's going to hire. I think I don't know. Um, she asks him how he feels. He says he doesn't know the polite word for it. She says I do. Stupid is the word we use around here. <laughs> what were you doing? John says he was doing something stupid. <laughs> well, you'll be okay. Once you didn't die, the doctor said you'd be fine. He took your bullets out a couple days ago. What were you doing? I was trying to give Williamson a chance for old times' sake. You know Bill Williamson. Knew him a long time ago. Well, what was he like? Dumb. <laughs> Bonnie says, just like you. <laughs> no. He says... Different breed of dumb. He, he says, thank you, miss. Seen my hat. <laughs> and thank you for saving my life. In order to pay back the money um, that they spent at the doctor, he spends the next few days helping the McFarlands, that's the name, Bonnie McFarland, around their sizable ranch. Um, doing tasks for them, kind of helping keep the perimeter secure at night. We uh, rustle some, or not rustle, we, we herd some cattle um, and we kind of scare off some coyotes and stuff. What's, um, what's going on? So he's got his own ranch. Abigail and Jack are back, back. They got married and now he's suddenly here hunting for his old gang members. Yeah. Why? Very weird. How bizarre. <laughs> Over the next... How bizarre. <laughs> Over the next few days, John and Bonnie have some uh, really nice conversations. They get on very well. Um, Marston says, it's never been easy living off the land like this. Maybe you should move to a big city, become a lady of leisure. <laughs> Bonnie says, you're a useful man to have around the ranch for sure, but don't think I've forgotten what brought you here. Whatever we can do to help you, we will. He says he appreciates that. Bonnie asks John how he knew Williamson. He's being very evasive about it. He says it's a complicated and somewhat pathetic tale, and by telling you, not only would I be putting your life in danger, but also threatening the lives of people I hold dear. And by telling her, he'd not get the 50 quid on the game out of her. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Go pay for your own copy. Bonnie, think about it. We do not do game sharing. It's all going digital, Bonnie. (laughs) You want to sell your used games? Absolutely not. Sell Uh, the whole system. John apologizes. He says he's sorry for his reticence. John knows the word reticence. I mean, Bill's right. There's some big words. <laughs> he's been reading too much. Yeah. I hope you believe me when I say it's simply out of respect for you. She says, of course, Mr. Marston. I understand that a city dweller such as yourself likes to have some exotic sequence oh, secrets. So us, so us country folk are ex- impressed. He says, I'm no city man, miss. Nope. Uh, they have a horse race together. It's quite cute. Yay. Oh. Who wins? 
Uh, it depends. Oh, yeah. <laughs> depends on if you're shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get good at the horse racing, man. Um, the next day, John drives Bonnie into town, Armadillo, which is the nearby town where we where we were when we came off the train, uh, to go and get supplies. While they're talking, she's talking about hope. Marson says hope's never really entered into it for him. It's not something I think about. She says that's a cooler outlook. I can't say I really understand you. He says he doesn't either. Oh, don't be so deliberately enigmatic. I'm not, miss. Yes, you are. You are being deliberately obscure as a substitute for having a personality. (laughs) I know some people like that. She says, just call him out. She says, I think it's funny I found you dying on the side of the road and now you're driving me into town. He says, you've got a strange sense of humor. Well, you must admit it. It's an unusual start to a friendship. He says, I didn't realize we were friends, Miss McFarland. She says, oh, please. Now who's being funny? Oh. Bestie. They had a whole horse race together. (laughs) Besties. John eventually does tell Bonnie that he is a farm upstate. She says she doesn't believe that he's a farmer for one second. He tells her a little bit more. Me and the folks. John believes it either. <laughs> yeah, he says me and the folks I used to know up in New Austin, the last real outlaw country, where the old ways still hold true. You do a man wrong, he'll shoot you for it. You do a man right, well, he may still shoot you for it, but at least you have an idea of what's right and wrong. She said, "What dreadful novel did he get that romanticized drivel out of? Those days are long gone if they were ever here at all." You arrive in Armadillo. She admits it's not exactly Manhattan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Red Dead 2, San Denis was quite a bustling, industrialised city yes. by that point. Town, yeah. So the, the biggest town we... So uh, I know you were fascinated last time by the sort of fictional states. So uh, just again, the states... Oh, yes. we, we, don't, we don't have the state of Le Moyne in this one because so, it was a way bigger map than 2. The states we are in here are... Wait, this has a bigger map than 2? No, no, way smaller. Oh, way smaller. okay. So there are two American, fake American states in this. They are New Austin and West Elizabeth. These are the two uh, the two states we're in, and in terms of like how they look, they are much more uniform than the first game. There's a little bit of snow to the north of one of them, but it's like um, you know, for the most part, it's picture an old Western film. You know, those films that were actually made in Italy um, yeah, were yeah. supposed to be. A few days later, John tells Miss McFarlane about his family. He says, "I'm married. I have a son." He says, "I had a daughter, but she died." Oh, did we know that? Not as far as I know. I don't oh. think we find that out in the, the second game. Years before that, I rode in a gang. We robbed banks, trains. As I say trains, I can see Twitch uh, Twitch forming in Chase's eye, as I mentioned, train robberies. <laughs> is there a hot air balloon in this one? There is not. <laughs> we held people ransom. We killed people we didn't like. Bill Williamson was in that gang. Now, if I don't capture my former brother-in-arms, great harm will befall my family. Oh, so the Pinkertons are strong-arming him? Maybe, yeah. Parcels. Yeah. She says she had no idea, you poor man. He tells her a little bit more. My father was an illiterate Scot born on the boat to New York. Hey, hey, hey. he's Scottish. John Marston's well, Scottish. He don't think he gets a great depiction here. He says, which is, no offence, very accurate to Americans, this bit with Scottish heritage. He says, he never saw his homeland, but to hear him talk about it, you would imagine he only ate haggis and wore a kilt. <laughs> I mean, that is all we do. The amount of people in America I know that are like that. Did you know, fun fact about the the Scottish haggis. So there's this joke going on where where Scottish people love to tell Americans, oh, the haggis is real and it's still running around, you know, etc, etc. But did you know that, in fact, it has gone extinct? And it went extinct because Maggie Thatcher organised a culling of the haggis (laughs) in her final year of power. (laughs) 
yeah, yeah. that's yeah. true yeah. that's true yeah, and, her, and, and and the, the lack of funding going to scottish councils at the time made it that so that conservation groups um mm. just weren't able to act um yeah absolutely horrific so maggie thatcher directly responsible yeah, for the yeah, death yeah. of the beautiful yeah. beautiful haggis I, I would maybe put it number two but behind you know what she did to cities in the north of england and scotland yes. yeah. um <laughs> Marston says his father died when he was eight years old. His eyes were, well, let's just say he was blinded in a bar fight south of Chicago. My mother died during childbirth. She was a prostitute. I was sent off to an orphanage and ran away and fell in with a gang. He says the leader of the gang taught me how to read, taught me how to see all that was good in the world. He was a great man in many a way. But you killed people? Sure. And I've suffered for it. That's the life I left, or tried to leave. I've said too much, Bonnie. I'm an uneducated killer sent here to do all I can. Kill a man in cold blood so another man may do his part to cut crime in an area and a rich man can be elected governor on the back of these promises. <laughs> she says civilization sure is a beautiful thing. Later on, we meet Bonnie's father, Drew, which I don't know why Drew is a funny name to me. I'm sure it must have been a name at the time, but I think of it. It's still a name. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, what I'm saying is, I, in my head, Drew didn't become a name until like 1975. So I'm just, you know. <laughs> Oddly specific? Yeah, I, I, I think of it as like a fairly modern name. Yeah. So I don't know. It was a result, result of Maggie Thatcher calling the haggis. <laughs> <laughs> Move on. <laughs> Drew is uh, the patriarch. He's older. Um, you'll see a picture from later. He's a big, big boy. Um, big face. Big uh, he's in a lot of debt and he hates the government. <laughs> so are we all. So most Americans. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he says he had a hard time settling here. He's buried more children than he's raised. When I hear about this so-called federal government sending out agents to covertly murder and control people, I start to worry. I mean, all right, Williamson's a menace and men like him are the plague, but isn't a government agent a worse menace? And all that symbolizes... Yes! Yes! <laughs> the Pinkertons are scum. He's talking about John as well. He says, John says, you may be right. Um, you know, John clearly doesn't want to want to be here. Mm. John tells Bonnie he's surprised she never got married. After all, she's quite a catch. Oh, well, well but no, you're a married man, John. You have a wolf back oh. at home, John. Friends. They're just friends. Just friends. It's John. John it, it, I would mates. say we don't get people read into this relationship all the and It was a really lovely, interesting relationship. I personally don't read romance uh, into certainly not from John's side. Yeah, I never he does. That. He does tell her you're worth any two of any man I know, miss. She says, I'll try to take that as a compliment. He also says, you remind me of my wife. She's always been a woman in a man's world. She says, you don't talk about her very much. It's kind of painful, but she's never far away from my thoughts. So there you go. Abigail's presumably safe or maybe not safe, but uh, in the picture. Uh, Probably a bit miffed that he's off on this mission. Well, maybe being, maybe being held by the Pinkertons, maybe, mm. you know. Political realities in Armadillo. Sometimes I'll read these out. These are just like chat, uh, mission uh, uh, names. Okay. John visits the sheriff's office in Armadillo. The deputy here is a nasty wee bastard who's, oh. asleep, who's asleep in his cell and has to be woken up by a prisoner in the next cell. It's like an open cell. He's having a nap in it. He says, you that feller from the train company? Marston says, no, I'm from Fort Mercer. And the guy goes, Fort Mercer? You them, one of them Williamson boys. Marston tells them to calm down and they draw guns on each other. Who gave this man a gun? We're about to find out. Um... The marshal, an older man, enters. He's got an incredible beard. He asks what the hell's going on here. <laughs> Sideburns. Uh, and the deputy goes, I got me one of them Williamson boys. I am not exaggerating his accent. John says, I got me one of them idiots who give marshals a bad name. 
The marshal says, Jonah, put your gun down. You must be the man from Blackwater. He tells the marshal of his mission to bring Williamson to justice. The marshal says he has enough on his plate with the bloody railroad company burning down local settlements, cattle rustlers needing shut down. The railroad company? Yeah, a railroad company. Um, Why are they evil? Yeah, so the marshal says he's got enough on his plate. He's got cattle rustlers, the railroad company burning down towns, and a bunch of drunken hoodlums in the saloon threatening to shoot people. That's all he's got so far today, but it's early yet. (laughs) Marston agrees that if they go and deal with the hoodlums in the saloon, we'll discuss Williamson. They chase down the offending drunks, which ends uh, ends up in a shootout where uh, Marshall and John go bang bang uh, on the hoodlums. Good, love it. Take him down. The next day, uh, the marshal is struggling to use an antique telephone. Hello? Hello? This is Armadillo. What's with these things? It's a new line. (laughs) They have a conversation here um, where the marshal says, I have no idea what's going on. If it's important, they'll send someone down like they did with you. And then he says, suddenly the world is full of theys. Um, which I find is a uh, um, Mar- Marshall, maybe uh, pro-trans, uh, this, or or is maybe slightly confused by it. But uh, yeah, as long as his heart's in the right place. We ride out with the Marshall and uh, some of his idiot deputies to take out more outlaws. There's more of them. All of, these are all deputies on the screen. Do they all talk the same way? They're all idiots. And They're all, they, yeah, I've got my yeah. gun. Um, <laughs> The accents are back, everybody. <laughs> Please, God, only Neil's. I, I, I heard you think I have a problem with your accents. I am fine with them as long as they don't veer into anything outside of Europe. <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, wait, no, what about American accents? Okay, Absolutely yeah, not. Fine, fine. No, 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 no. I've, I, I, I've heard of those ones. I'll slip a Barry Wheeler in here somewhere. Barry Wheeler. <laughs> hey. How is your Barry worse than my Barry? <laughs> Sorry, anyway, back in. Go watch the Alan Wake episode, everybody. As they ride along, the deputies are badgering John. Watch you, some kind of vigilante. You don't look like no government boy. Marston says, I guess it's complicated. I became because they made it impossible for me not to. You sure are one tight-lipped son of a bitch, mister. Ain't you all proud and superior? Don't forget, you need us more than we need you. Bill Williamson folded you up like an empty purse last time, if I remember correctly. The marshal tells him to simmer down. Simmer down, Jonah. I love that it doesn't matter what interaction John Marston's have had in this game so far. All of them have ended with somebody going like, Oh, Billy Big Balls, with your big words. (laughs) He just gets a hard time. Um, Marston tells him, listen to your boss, Jonah. There's a good boy. Otherwise, I'll put a hole in your hillbilly head and watch your tiny brains run out. I did fear into Arthur there. Um, (laughs) Uh, The marshal tells us that he hates the government. (laughs) Everyone hates the government. And is very suspicious that John is here on behalf, effectively, of them. We eliminate some more bandits. I'm going to skip over most of the action in this game. We eliminate some more bandits and free some ranch hands that have been kidnapped. The marshal agrees that he's going to have time to help you with Bill Williamson. One of the deputies reports to us that it's Mr. West Dickens. He's gone missing. Marshall says, who? Eli, one of the deputies, who are all going to have the same voice, says, I've not got that much range. Mr. <laughs> Mr. West Dickens, the tonics merchant. He was doing town last week. Oh, the narcotic and bat piss salesman who cons housewives out of their money with promises of eternal youth. Yes, him. But I think you're being a, a little unfair. He's helped a great many of the country and the townsfolk are really missing him. 
The marshal says, hear that, Marston? We just butchered a gang of thieves and the town is up in arms about a missing snake oil salesman. I'm so glad to be serving such a wise and, wise and respectable people. <laughs> I like the marshal. I don't like cops, but I like the marshal. Yeah, the marshal's, uh, yeah, uh, the marshal's all right. Sorry, just very quickly, Wes Dickens sounds like a confidence man. This isn't the same confidence man from RDR2. No, that was, that was Josiah Trelawney. Trelawney. Oh, I fucking forgot they were called confidence men. Yeah, 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 I think you found that out. On, I uh, did. Yeah. I did. Um, so, we go looking for Mr. Wes Dickens. We find a wagon with a man lying apparently dead nearby. Oh. Barson goes over and says, excuse me, sir, mister, are you alive? Uh, Wes Dickens is on the floor and he goes, bugger fuck, god damn it, good heavens. I said no, I'm not okay. Do I look like I'm okay? John says he looks pretty good for a corpse. Uh, Wes Dickens says, praise be. Time to get you to a doctor or an undertaker, whichever one you need once we get to town. He's lying there with his arms on the floor, uh, his arms raised up going, St. Peter, open up the pearly gates. I'm coming home. (laughs) We help the old timer onto the wagon. Hurry, sir, I'm bleeding like a badly butchered hog. He looks fine. (laughs) Yeah, he's he's basically all right. Um, We ride on the carriage, uh, his carriage, back to town. We are attacked by highwaymen on the way. Good Lord, it's those scoundrels again. But we kill them all. Um, he's such Good a... Lord, now I'm with the scoundrel. <laughs> Wes Dickens is the drama. Whenever, <laughs> whenever we go over a bump, he goes, please drive carefully. Every bump is like getting struck by lightning. I've never heard that before. That fr- I love that phrase. Is the drama. As, as we go into town, he's screaming, death, I embrace you. <laughs> John's, John's trying to tell him, you're going to be fine. Christ's sakes, take me into your arms. Oh. <laughs> um, so I'll a man of faith. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we get him into uh, we get him into Armadillo and we drop him off at the doctor um, he says that you're a gentleman and a true man of honour um, later the Marshal and West Dickens uh, Marshal and John are discussing West Dickens Marson points out that for a man who claims to find a remedy of all ailments he's in pretty bad shape a uh, remedy? Eli steps in again. His tonic has helped a great many people. It's a medical breakthrough from the East, a result of years of research. John says if only it could cure him of his diarrhea of the mouth. I wouldn't be so dismissing the science if I was you. Times is changing fast. Marson says a more flannel-mouthed bunko artist he's never met. Later, on a mission with the Marshals, um, we are... Uh, a trap is sprung by Bill and his men. Oh. Uh, they swarm. Bill's smart enough to yeah. spray a trap. Th- you were saying in, in RDR2 that the O'Driscoll gang is like Team Rocket. This feels way more Team Rocket. Look at them. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Make, it, make it double. Bill shouts down from the cliff, Walk away, John. I didn't kill you before, but I sure as shit will now. And he sends his men after him. We eventually manage to survive the hordes uh, of Bill's And it really is like 20 guys uh, coming in like fives. And we eventually shoot them off. And one of them survives. Uh, one of the one of the uh, members of Bill's gang, Bill, escapes. Um, one of the deputies pretends to ride the man we've ca- captured like a pig. Sort of making pig noises. Uh, oh. Very deliverance. Um, yeah. uh, the man's name is Norman Deke. And he is one of Bill's right-hand men. Marshall tells him, nice to see you again, buddy. Thanks for your help. And we get take Norman to jail. One day, while riding to the ra- ranch, the ranch, one day while riding to the ranch, John spots a man in an immaculate black suit with a top hat. He's standing, facing away from us and looking over the valley. 
with his back to us, he says, Hello, John. John Marston. John says, Do I know you? I hope so. I seem to know you. John says he's pretty good with faces. The strange man says, Are you? Do you remember Hattie McCourt's face? Who? She was a girl Dutch Vanderlyn shot in the head in that ferry raid a few years back. Same one you got shot on. Pretty girl until her eye was hanging out and her brain was plastered over a wall. John says he doesn't really remember her. And the man says, then why would you remember me, friend? You've forgotten far more important people than me. John says, what's your game, friend? I don't have a game, friend. I just wish sometimes I'd know more about life. Had better guidance. I know what you are, John. He tells us there's a man in Thieves' Landing who's going to be unfaithful to his wife and sends John to resolve the issue. Um, briefly touch here on, you do have a choice in how to do some missions. It's not like the first game. There is an honour system, high honour, low honour. You get different outfits, different kind of reactions from the law. It's not in-depth. Like well, The second one's barely in-depth, but it doesn't have like many endings and stuff like that. But this is um, an example of a mission where you can go along uh, on the strange man's tip. You can go into Thieves' Landing, which is like a thieves' den of a town, like, God, gambling, people getting shot in the street kind of thing. Um, and you can either talk to the man and encourage him not to have an affair with his wife, or you can kind of push him into having an affair and cheating on his wife. Oh, <laughs> spicy. <laughs> yeah, 100%. So that's the strange man. I fully for What yeah. is that? So, so this man is, is Drew McFarlane. Uh, this is Big Bonnie's walrus, dad. Walrus mustache. Yeah, do you want to describe? Why is his chin so bulbous? <laughs> yeah, he's huge. The characters look a little more cartoony at points in the first game. Mm. Is this... Like middle-aged man, <laughs> generic hair, but just the his face just gets wider and wider. Yeah, and yeah, 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 goes. Yeah, He's got the is. biggest fucking jaw and then just massive walrus yeah. handlebar mustache. So don't panic. The next mission is called Hanging Bonnie McFarlane. Oh, what? John walks into the marshal's office. Drew, her father, is there. He's shouting and screaming. I don't have a clue, but it's got something to do with that government boy. Marshall says, we'll talk to him. John comes in and he says, where is she, my daughter, you fucking scum? Where's Bonnie? John says he doesn't know. He hasn't seen her since after the fire. Oh, uh, John saved their barn from a fire. Oh, um, casually. Yeah, sorry, there's so much stuff in here. I had to cut out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Drew says he can't cope and he breaks down and says, if I lose another child. Marshall says, Drew, nobody's lost anything yet. I'm sure she's fine. A sing-song voice comes from out in the street. Oh, Mr. Marshall, Mr. Marshall, come out, come out. They go outside and see a bandit on horseback. Even better. Good day, Mr. McFarlane. He tells him there that they've got Bonnie McFarlane. The gang have got Bonnie McFarlane. Bill's gang. Bill's gang have got Bonnie McFarlane. And he says some very gross things about her. There's some very horrible sexual threats. Uh, He says, I want Norman Deke. I want him set free. Then you get your daughter back. The marshal says, we don't deal with outlaws, boy. He says, yes, you do. Let's not waste our time pretending otherwise. Whole government themselves ain't much more than a bunch of crooks. Nobody likes the government. (laughs) (laughs) He tells them to bring Deke up to Tumbleweed in a couple of hours. Don't get any funny ideas or I will slit her throat myself. You have a pleasant afternoon. So... I love how mannerly they always are. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's kind of sarcastic, but you're right. There is a... They all call each other sir and mister and... Yeah. We ride out with the posse. Deke tied up on the back of the horse. Let's get Miss McFarlane back. This is what happens, Marshall says, when we let the Federals interfere with our affairs. (laughs) (laughs) Marshall's my favorite character in all of Red Dead. (laughs) 
He says, are you happy now? John says, I ain't happy. I already told you, I ain't with the government. John, and he says, ah, you say that, John, but the only thing I know for sure is who sent you. They made me come here. They gave me no choice. That's your federal government, Mr. Johnson. They come down here, says the marshal, dressed as cocky as the king of diamonds, talking a lot of flannel about helping us, about spreading peace and civilization to the West, but they brought us nothing but trouble and taxes. <laughs> Amen. While they ride, they talk Preach. about their captain. <laughs> What's that? Why have you turned into Andrew Ryan through this? <laughs> yeah, boo, taxes. Yeah, we need taxes. <laughs> <laughs> Referring to the captive tied up on the horse, uh, Deke, the right-hand man. The marshal says Deke's the kind of man who's mean enough to be second in command, but too cowardly and stupid to ever be leader. So Mar- perfect for Bill's gang. <laughs> Marston says, don't ever use that line near your deputies. Um, he describes Tumbleweed as a lonely, godforsaken place. Some people say it's haunted. It was quite the town back in its day. It's almost like Armadillo, but like 15 years ago and it got abandoned. The marshal says, I just hope you're not taking advantage of the McFarlands, Marston. He says, they saved my life, gave me food and a bed, and they had no idea who I was. I owe them more than I can ever repay. Oh, I know you helped, just like you helped me, but you got your reasons for doing it. And this raises a question for some people. Is John helping because it's the right thing to do, or because he needs to leverage their help? He says, Why does it matter? Right, you know, because he's on his he's on route to get his Red Dead Redemption. But the... <laughs> John, no, John is doing this because it's the right thing to do. He needs, he needs, at this point, he needs the Marshal's help to storm Bill's... Oh, I think he's helping the Marshal to help, but 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 the McFarlane's is just... Does it matter? Well, I know. Well, okay, that's a deep philosophical question you've asked there about intention mattering to moral acts. I suppose it infers, it's a character study and it it, it informs whether or not he's a good person. Because if you're doing things purely for, for, for gain, then even if those things are objectively good, can you say that you're a good person? Um, it's an, yeah, it's it's an interesting. I, I would also argue not to d- distract. I would also argue that I, I believe that he helps the McFarlands because it's the right thing to do. He's repaying a favor. They brought him back to health, and he's helping them out. I think he is helping the marshal because he needs to leverage that. But I'd also argue that isn't a moral thing because he, what he's doing is he's working with an official, not a government agency, obviously, but he's working with a, a professional force. Yeah. To get their professional help. To me, this is clearly one of the main questions the game sets mm. out for itself. Um, and we'll kind of see it unfold throughout the game. Is it both? Is it one? Is it the other? It does it hot. Does it? Does it matter, as Chase, as Chase raises? Um, they continue to ride and talk about how it's madness sending an outlaw to do the work of a, ma- a lawman. John says, ain't that much difference between the two of us, as far as I can tell. The marshal says, there have to be rules, Marston. Even you must understand that. John says it's easy to make up rules, but they ain't much use to the people if people don't understand why. Like my son, if I tell him to do something, he'll do it anyways, just to spite me. If I try and punish him, he resents me. But I show, but if I show him why it's wrong, then he at least has reason not to do it again. Why should a bunch of rich university boys in the East get to decide how a man in armadillo should live his life? The marshal reluctantly agrees with this. They arrive in Tumbleweed and prepare to make the trade. They tell him, John, you'll be exchanging Bonnie for the prisoner in the middle of town. Keep your eyes open. I sincerely doubt these scum plan to pay fair, play fair. John heads into town, using Deke as a human shield, pointing his gun at him. They start walking. Deke is, during this time, continuing to make some truly disgusting sexual threats about Bonnie, uh, which I will not repeat. Mm-hmm. Um, there is more of that stuff I found when writing the script. There is more um, swearing, uh, which obviously isn't bad, um, but just something I noticed. But the other thing, there is definitely, I think, a more casual use of threats of sexual violence in in this first game. What about racism? Um, is it more 
I'll leave that for now. Um, okay, fair enough. Yeah, we'll leave that for I now. Mean, you saw the entire opening scene. They arrive in town. Sure enough, no sign of Bonnie here. Of course it's a trap. Um, John uses time magic to shoot these people. Just... <laughs> oh yeah, just in case we forgot that. John has time magic. Um, uh, and they start shooting their way through the town. Here we go, we're going through the town. We find Bonnie being hung. And oh. Bonnie is hanging in the middle of the town square, uh, dying. <laughs> yeah, just just, just dying. Bonnie, maybe don't do that. Stop yeah. That. He cuts her down. She's very oh, she's bruised and beaten. He asks if she's okay. She says, fine now, Mr. Marston. What the hell took you so long, you stupid man? Well, you weren't exactly helping me. And she says, if you think I'm going to lower myself by making a joke about being all tied up, you can think again. <laughs> You shall not give false testimony except for profit. John finds Wes Dickens yelling at a doctor. And I can tell you with no uncertainty that miracle cures are no laughing matter. I bid you good day, sir. Ah, Mr. Marston, good to see you. How have you been keeping? <laughs> uh, well, I'm well, mister. He introduced himself properly. Mr. West Dickens, Nigel West Dickens from East Cheap, London, New Waverley, New York, and Armadillo, New Austin, at your service. Well, okay. He's been about... It's a lot of big cities and then armadillo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess maybe because he's there now, but yeah, it's a good point. At my service, at everyone's service, at the service of science, of knowledge, of life. Um, he says, how are your wounds? And he says, oh, much better. But then they would be. Would be. I know a cure for all ailments, Mr. Marston. Oh, I'm sure you do. And for just $2 an ounce, I could live forever. Oh, but for you, sir, I do a bulk discount of one ninety-five an ounce as long as you buy a hundred ounces or more. That's a lot of immortality, which is one of my favorite lines ever written. <laughs> There's a Mitchell and Webb sketch which has a thing about immortality that wears off. That's just mortality. <laughs> So, Wes Tiggins explains that he's broke, but insists this snake oil, which he doesn't use, but definitely is, is good stuff. He doesn't use that word, I mean. He asks John to ride with him on his tonics chariot. I heard about you, Miss Dickens, Mr. Wes Dickens, hoodwinking the weak and gullible out of their hard-earned money. My dear boy, it's you who's gullible, if I may be so bold, for heeding such ill-informed scuttlebutt. Scuttlebutt. Scuttlebutt is such a great word as well. I have been blessed. I never knew that word until I was... <laughs> Mortified to learn it from the singing bird in the Little Mermaid movie. Oh, the scuttlebutt, the scuttlebutt. We don't know why. Such an awful song. Please. The worst thing that Manuel Brand has ever written. Please. West Dickens says skepticism is the bastard child of progress, John. Knowledge makes a fool into a doubting Thomas. It's a cross which I bear as a pioneer in the fields of commerce and medical research. If my tonic is such a sham, how do you explain the fine fettle in which you find me? Last time you saw me, I was knocking at death's door. Marson points out that you should probably thank the doctor for that. And I reckon you were acting it up worse than it was. Oh, act I can, John. A more convincing Othello there has never been. And, and so shall you a fair Iago or Cassio make. John says he doesn't like the sound of whatever this is turning into. <laughs> Showmanship, John. The flourish, the bow. We are operating in a competitive marketplace. Our product must stand out. 
How does this involve me? I'll drop you off at the outskirts of Ridgewood. That way it won't look like we came in together. Once I'm set up, saunter nonchalantly into the crowd that is sure to be forming. Eventually I will call you up to try my tonic. After extolling its virtues, I will have you perform a few feats of wonder to amaze and impress the paying public. Does, does John not... Is John not like, you're like Trelawney, we used to do this all the time, you're a con man, and I'm busy? <laughs> uh, I suppose uh, he needs West Dickens' help. Does he? Um, okay. Is West Dickens going to be integral to taking down Bill? Possibly. So, we head into the small settlement, and uh, and uh, West Dickens draws a crowd um, around. Friends, gather round, gather round. Do you suffer from rheumatism, lumbago, uncle? Acute, chronic... <laughs> I got the lumbago. Acute, acute, chronic, or sadic, neurological, or inflammatory pain? Well, I represent the only company that makes the genuine article that cures headaches, neuralgia, earaches, toothaches, backaches, swelling, sprains, sore chest, swelling of the throats, contracted cords, muscles, anxieties, ravaged nerves, nerves, stiff joints, wrenches, dislocations, cuts, bruises, and it adds vitality and vigor to the healthy man. Oh. He makes paracetamol? <laughs> Well, you pop a paracetamol before you get into wow. get to work. <laughs> Only the blue paracetamols. Uh, John is John is volunteered to come forward and drink the tonic. He demonstrates the potent powers of the potion by shooting a skull on a distant fence and shooting a hat out of the air. Uh, again, little does the crowd know that John has the ability to literally slow time. Um, <laughs> the man who volunteers... He's a witch! Burn him! The man who volunteers his hat to be thrown in the air and shot gets very offended, comes over and says, What? You think you can put a hole in a man's hat and just walk away? It don't work like that round here, mister. They have a fist fight and John beats him up. Um, as, which which kind of serves as another uh, demonstration for West Dickens. Another man says, are you going to let him get away with that? Draws his gun, and John uh, slows time and shoots, shoots the gun out of a man's, man's hand. Time magic. John the Time Wizard is going to be the new... Abigail the Wolf. <laughs> so after after this, the crowd is convinced and go up. And even the man that John beat up and shot the hole in the hat grumbles to himself and goes, well, no harm in trying one bottle, I suppose, and goes over. Um, so we've made some money for Wes Dickens. Um, and uh, Wes Dickens says he's going to help. He's going to put John in touch with Seth, who's over at Coots Chapel. I don't remember much at all, it seems, about this game, but I do remember Seth. <laughs> That's worrying. Oh, no, I'm scared now. We head to Coots Chapel, and Marston comes upon a horrible little golem man robbing a grave. <laughs> he is... Why is he standing on the corpse? He's inside, so if, for those of you listening along, um, he is standing inside a grave, inside, he's like straddling a corpse <laughs> inside a coffin. Yeah. He's, got, he's got no teeth, this, his hat's this, falling this off. He really fucking does look like Gollum. This mission, by the way, is called Exhuming Another Hobbies. Ugh, gross. No, he's just a gross man and I don't like it. John says that Wes Dickens sent him. I need your help, Seth. We need your help. Me and Mr. Wes Dickens. What's Seth gonna do? Well, we'll find out. Uh, Seth says, let me be frank for one second, partner. I hate people. It was people who got me into this mess in the first place. Look at me, scrambling about, looking for maps. Half insane. I ain't washed in six months. My hair's falling out and my mind's going. John says, what happened? My partner, he stole half my map. I would never have done that to him. Look at me. Who did this to you? My partner, my boy, my man, Moses Forth. I don't have the facility to tell you what I would done for that man and what I would do to him now. He stole half my goddamn map. Um, he says it's a map. The map. Wait, wait. 
He's a pirate. He's a pirate. <laughs> He's a pirate. He's a grave robber. <laughs> He's and such a horrible little child worm goblin man yeah, thing. Yeah. I hate him. He's very goblin man. Goblin man. Thing. Yeah, and he's got sort of permanently blackened hands from oh. from digging around in graves. Um, he says that Moses has the other half of the map that tells where it is. We had one piece. <laughs> <laughs> We head out to try and find his uh, ex-partner, Moses. Um, I don't... But maybe it is in a romantic way. He does say some things about Moses, which make me wonder if they were romantically involved as well, but that's just me reading into it too much, perhaps. They were just map mates. I would much rather Seth just be asexual. I don't want to imagine any of this. <laughs> if he's, he also takes some of the pills. That's why he knows the if doctor. He, if he's being sexual towards anyone, we know who it is. Yes. Um, Stop that! Stop that! Well, we're going to get more into Seth here. We ride out to where he thinks Moses is, up at Benedict Point. Marston says, how can you dig that, sink that low? Digging up graves and looting from the dead. Seth says, you're hypocrites, the whole damn lot of you. Are you saying it's better to steal from the living? They're corpses. They don't care none. These people have been laid to rest. You don't know nothing. This I- might sound bad, but he's got a point. Well, yeah, he's going to turn, he's going <laughs> to, you're going to get, you're going to get turned back off him with this line. You don't know nothing. I talk to him long after they've been forgotten by every other fella. I tell him it's all right to be scared and alone. I embrace them when they're stinking and rotten. I don't know what you mean. I, I talk about Ouija board every night. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not hugging corpses. He says, folk is cold and heartless all their lives. To me, they're getting even warmer when they're actually cold and heartless. Ooh, stop that. Stop, stop that. Stop that. Move on. No, move on. No, I don't I, like it. I take everything back. He says, so he says, are we really living anyway? Do you exist? outside my mind maybe we're both maybe we're both having the same dream and when we wake up we'll die <laughs> stick him in a remedy game Marston says Marston says if it's a dream it's a nightmare um, while we're riding Seth just says to himself have you looked in the cave Seth no it's very dark John says what do you say he says I didn't say nothing <laughs> they just straight up put call over this game yeah. Yeah. All the characters are much more colourful in, in this one like than, than in RDR 2. Like, um, I think yes. they have more fun with this. Would you, yeah. would, would, would you like a hot take? Yeah. So far, this is miles better than in RDR 2. I, you know what? I knew you were going to say I knew that. you'd enjoy, I knew this. You'd so, enjoy this more. Yeah. This is so much better than RDR 2. <laughs> um, so, he tells Seth as the writing, I need someone who can get a wagon inside Fort Mercer. So this is what he and Wes Dickens are working towards. Right. I was told you could help me. So Wes Dickens has the wagon. They need a way in. Wait, so what? The plan is Wes Dickens goes in and is like, oh, I've got my tonics. And then what? John pops out the back with two two revolvers. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Only Clearly after- I don't remember this game. <laughs> Only after taking the tonics though. He needs that. <laughs> Seth says he knows Bill Williamson. Oh, yes, I met all them boys. Sometimes they call on me when they got some special job needs doing. I got a reputation as a man who will do things most other fellows won't. I can, I'm, I, sh- sh- yep, I can see it. We find uh, his ex-partner Moses in Benedict Point and Seth threatens him with a knife. Oh. <laughs> you look so cute. John, well, John, John tries to stop him. And he says, shut up, Arston. I want to cut into a bona fide man's flesh. I've never, never cut into a live one before. Oh. Oh. Moses tells us where the map, the rest of the map is. And we we leave uh, Seth to his devices, thank God. And meet up back with Wes Dickens to discuss the next phase of the plan. Oh, no. No, we don't. No, no. More Seth, everybody. We're just settle in for Seth. <laughs> this is a very short bit, which is why I didn't have any pictures for it. I'm... Um, 
West Dickens tells us the next stage of the plan will be to obtain some firepower. Oh. And for that, you need to contact an old friend of mine. Goes by the name of Irish. Yes, he's an interesting kind of fellow. He can usually be found in Armadillo or some of the towns around here or on some bacchanalian revel or such. Do we know the name Irish from the last game? Why does that sound really familiar? No. Okay. Irish is uh, only in this game. Cool, cool, cool. No, we had an Irish guy in the game. Sean, Sean, Sean was, Irish. was the younger guy who I, got killed. Ginger, he gets shot. Game. It's like a, it's probably the most shocking moment of the game. You're walking down the street and he gets shot it in the head. Happens. We find Seth later uh, digging up more graves in no Tumbleweed. Good. And as we approach, we can hear him talking to the graves. Oh, it's like that, is it, huh? Not talking to Seth today. The old silent treatment. Oh, that's quite a stench. <laughs> he's found the map he's found the map and he says according to the map uh, the treasure is around here somewhere we head to the abandoned, into the abandoned town and are attacked by other treasure hunters who say thanks for all the hard work Seth now kill him boys we fight them off and Seth finds the treasure chest finally Ooh. it's clear that this is oh, there's a real one years of him looking for this he says yee I finally see the light at the end of a very long tunnel so it's gonna be rich it's all silk sheets and Parisian whores from now on mister he breaks off the lock with a knife and opens it inside is one glass eye oh what the goddamn hell is this a glass eye and John says well I'm sure whoever owned it treasured it very much <laughs> Um, Seth sort of loses his mind at this and starts sort of dancing around. He's sort of laughing and weeping. And he's sort of going, A glass eye! A glass eye! And then he says, Treasure hunting's done me no favours. I'm ready for the living. I'll see you and Mr. West Dickens over at Fort Mercer when you gentlemen is ready. This is, okay, so this is like a big brain plan by John, it seems. To, like, recruit people, and this is the smartest thing he's ever done. Well, if you remember, in the first game, John actually, one of the things he was quite good at was organising... Uh, you know, robberies and stuff. He came up with the plan to have the cart parked in the middle of the railway to stop the train. He came right. up, He's not bad at this stuff. Yeah, we uh, joked that he stole those plans. Everyone's a different kind of clever. Okay, next mission. A Frenchman, a Welshman, and an Irishman. A Frenchman and a Welshman are holding an Irishman's head in a trough of water. Oh. Uh, this is Welsh... Uh, this is Irish in the middle, and this is French on the right. Uh, <laughs> I might not do these accents, but whatever I did would be more of an attempt than the game makes. Oh, okay. Um, so Irish is obviously a, a character that we that we were looking for. His accent is so comical; it's like something out of a cartoon from the seventies. I mean, they all all three of them look quite comical too. Yeah, I mean, um, so the Welshman says, yes. "You know what the guy on the left looks like?" The Welsh guy. Yeah, the Welsh. He looks like uh, PS1 Hagrid. He does. He does. He yeah. does, yeah. They're holding his water in the trough, and he says, Yes, Boyle, you messed up bad this time. Iris says, You got it all wrong, Welshy. All wrong. It was the French, I promise. He said he was going to rip you off. Now he's ripping me off. Frenchman, who, by the way, has a sort of thick southern accent, so I don't know if it's sort of Louisiana or if he's just called Frenchy. says, you keep talking. In about 15 more seconds, your whole world's going to turn black, Irish. Marston comes in and goes, what's up, boys? (laughs) (laughs) Is what he says, but not like that. (laughs) Um, You up, lads? (laughs) Um, I'm reminded of Mean Girl Micah from Red Dead 2. <laughs> the Welsh, she says, fuck off, Boyle. This doesn't concern you. Marson says, when a man with a sing-song voice tells me to fuck off, it always concerns me, Boyle. Oh. 
Um, they say this, this, uh, the man here, Irish, stole our gun, tried to steal our horses, the law is clear. I never stole anything, sir. Never did. Not in all me life. That French, he's playing with the Welshman's tiny and ineffective mind. John says, no one has to die, leave him be. Um, they both try to attack John, he time magics them both. You don't have to time magic, by the way, I keep saying that, uh, but, you know. Uh, no, t- John, John does every fight with time magic. I mean, you in a big fight, you will always use it. In case you need kind of reminding, you slow down and you can sort of paint targets on people's heads, so you've mm-hmm. got to go ding, ding, or anywhere you want on them. Do it in the deck if you want. You can go ding, 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 and then you execute it, and he goes... <laughs> And, yeah. it's, it's just vats. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. It's cooler no. than vats, I'd it's, say. It's yeah, it's better than vats. Yeah. It, it it feels more visceral than vats. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we save his life, and uh, Iris says he always did the last, had the last laugh. Well, shimmy boy. We tell him that Mister Westigan said you'd help me locate a machine gun, and since I just saved your life, um, he says I can't. I'm not kidding. The voice is like. I can't thank you enough. It's proper. (laughs) He says, I can't thank you enough for taking care of those two degenerates. Untrustworthy, poor in personal hygiene, lacking the finer qualities of a gentleman. Um, He says he knows where the gun is. She's magnificent. Government issue. It'll be a bit of a ride, but we'll get there soon enough. All righty, me guardian angel. This way. They ride out together. He said, again, this, the, the apologies for the stereotypes here. He says, thanks for coming along. I thought I'd drunk me last breakfast for a second. No. <laughs> John says, who were those two fine specimens? Oh, there was me only two friends in the world. Boy, am I glad to see them bastards dead. <laughs> we all met in the boat over a few years back. Thick as thieves ever since. That was the problem. John says, it no- is it normal for friends in Europe to try and drown one another? Never trust a Welshman, me pa always told me. And he got his throat slit, so he should know. They come to a late cabin, which is guarded by bandits. Iris says, you'll make short work of these fellas. I'll stay up here and snipe for you, basically. I'm up on the ridge. I'm better from long range. John cleans out the bandits, looks in the cabin. There's nothing there. Oh. And when he comes out, Iris is gone. No. Oh. He tracks him down and finds him sleeping uh, along at a house in Benedict Point. Irish is sleep talking and says, that's a mighty fine course that you got there, young lady. Marston kicks him awake. Um, he says, who are you? What do you want? John says that he left him behind. He says, it weren't like that at all. My intentions were pure. I swear to my poor mother's life. Um, I, I just get a tad confused from time to time. It's an honest mistake. He says that he knows where the gun is now. Some local miners have it. John says, what the hell do miners want with a machine gun? And Iris says, very reasonably, to shoot it at somebody, I suppose. <laughs> shoot the rocks. That's how you mine. <laughs> Imagine my- Minecraft with an AK-47. Yeah, it's like a video game mining in some games. Yeah. Sort of plan that Bill would come up with. We arrive at the mine, um, where the miners are sort of more like a gang, really, and they, they attack us, and we fight through the mine. It's actually quite a fun fight. Um, which involves us riding down the back down the hill on the mine uh, cart, shooting at people as we go. Love it. Uh, we can see John here exploding someone's head as we uh, fly past. Irish is waiting for us outside this time and helps us load up the, the gun, uh, which is in the mine cart there. What did I tell you? Piece of cake. John later finds Irish attempting to rob two nuns in Thieves Landing. Oh. Up, sister, put him up. He says, what the hell are you doing? And Irish says, who are you? He, he pistol whips Irish, basically, to make him drop the gun. <coughs> he said he remembers him. He says, oh, Mr. Marston, how are you? And he says, what the hell were you doing? Bushwhacking defenceless ladies of the cloth. You must have raised up, been raised on sour milk, Irish. What are you talking about? I'm a good Catholic boy. You're a booze-bland coward. 
and you're a hypocrite, Mr. Marston. You've robbed just as many innocent folks as me. I try to only rob those people who have more than they deserved. Yes. We rob folks that need robbing was Dutch's line, right? Yeah, uh, yeah we, we say, yeah, kill folks that need killing, save folks that need saving. That was his, his, whole, his whole vibe. We retrieve, uh, we retrieve the ammo from Irish's friend, Shaky. So we now have the gun, we now have the ammo, and we now have the wagon. Is it time? Let's take down Bill. Marston says we're going to need it. Bill Williamson's got himself an army. Iris says, so I guess this is where we part ways, Johnny Marston. Or maybe not, friend. You're going to be right alongside me when I take that fort. After all, you put me through. It's time you pulled that damn trigger for once. Show me what a big bad killer you really are. Uh, Yes, what am I thinking? Don't worry, you can count on me. I just hope I don't steal all your glory. He's definitely going to get John killed. (laughs) <laughs> why? I don't know why John bring him in here the assault on Fort Mercer yes take down Bill let's do it the marshal and his boys. oh look at him with his gang <laughs> kind of yeah and that is the worst band cover well, it's the worst band cover I've ever uh, seen so we can see here John is overlooking Fort Mercer from a cliff he's joined by West Dickens the marshal uh, the deputies and Irish who is sort of <laughs> smacked aside by the marshal with his gun He's looking through a spyglass at the fort and he sees Seth signalling on the top of the fort because obviously Seth can get inside because he knows Williamson's gang. keep forgetting Seth's involved. <laughs> and Seth is sort of dancing around on the... He climbs the, the walls. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So, West Dickens says, Marshals of the law, when the shooting starts, take that as your cue to start awarding each other wet medals. Marston says, Williamson's a proud fool. Which one will win out between his pride and his instinct for survival? Wes says, ensconce yourself in the back of the wagon, my boy, so we can make our grand entrance. <laughs> John hides in the back of the wagon as they make their way to the gate. <laughs> There's me, Seth. Oh, I will never not think it's funny to see a picture of Seth. <laughs> There's we, Seth. Up on, a, up on the wall. Um, Seth, best character. Seth, Seth waves them through, through. they open the gates. Um... And Wistekin says, whispers to John, the moment you hear a sharp rap on the side of the wagon, rise like the phoenix and start shooting like you've never shot before. This is it, my dear boy. The moment of truth, me and you, John. One last time into the breach. This is going to have to be the performance of my life. I hope my nerves don't get the better of me. I'll be honest with you, John, I'm a little jittery. John? John? John says, it reeks of miracles back here. <laughs> <laughs> I love, like, I keep thinking he's Leviticus Cornwall. Sorry, what's his name? Dickens. West Dickens. West yeah. Dickens. Nigel like, West Dickens. I keep thinking of Nigel, like, I keep wondering why Nigel West Dickens is in fact helping John. Because this is, a, this is a life-threatening mission, this. Yeah, John John saved his life. He's been making a lot of money for West Dickens. I've skipped over it. We can also do horse races for West Dickens, like, or right. ca- carriage races, almost like Roman carriage racing. So he um, is legitimately just doing this to help a, help a friend. He, well, he owes John. Yeah. He, he, he does owe John. And he seems to be fond of John. Cool. John is begrudgingly... I, I wouldn't go so far as to say John. John's sick of him constantly, because mm. he is a swindler and, a, and an old windbag. West Dickens... Uh, comes through the gate in the carriage, steps off, and prepares to give the performance of his life. Greetings, good man. What would I? What? What would you say if I said immortality was at hand? What would you say if I told you I could teach you to fly? What, what would you say if I told you I could turn a man into a beautiful woman? Again, I think a lot of people would really want that. Yeah, a lot of people would want that. They would it's want it on their healthcare service, and they would want it to be accessible and not 
a total fucking nightmare. Um, <laughs> New bottom surgery just dropped. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's the one thing Wes Dickinson is good at. He's very <laughs> supportive of uh, uh, people transitioning. Um, yes, once impossible, but no more. Gentlemen, I bring you wisdom from the East. I have here in this wagon some of the finest goods, the best medicines, and the newest inventions available for you and your families. Exotic trinkets from the far reaches of the earth. Elixirs that give vigor. He always says vigor in this sort of suggestive way. Vigor and strength. And for you, men of physical skill and athletic physique, this miraculous elixir can keep your muscles supple and relax the cords. It loosens the joints, gives a feeling of vigor and freshness to the whole system. Why, some men have reported to me that after drinking it for one month, they can chew through steel. West knocks on the side of the wagon, the top of the wagon kind of splits open into two, and John emerges, um, swinging a massive machine gun into place. Um, <laughs> yeah, he mows down dozens of men um, as the fort... With type magic? As the fort explodes uh, with bullets and guns and shouting and blah, blah, blah. He doesn't... You, you, I think you can, but I don't know you need it. He's just sort of mowing it side to side. Um, I don't know. Slow-mo time magic would... Slow-mo time magic... Machine gun. OP. Yeah. Great. It got nerfed in two. Um, <laughs> they hunt down the rest of the outlaws in the camp and regroup. <clears throat> Bill ain't here. Oh, you're kidding me. God damn it. Is Bill our big bad of the entire game? <laughs> we looked everywhere. What's wrong with that? You got a problem with that? Irish emerges. Hold on, I missed it. <laughs> he just wasn't there. <laughs> so all of the Irish stuff was a waste of... Oh, we did get the gun. We did get the gun. One of Bill's men is still alive. He says Bill's already run off to Mexico yesterday morning. You'll never find him. John sighs. Javier Escuela. He's gone to see Escuela. That should make things interesting. Remember Javier? Javier Escuela was one of the gang members. Vaguely, he was yeah. he was not that important he, in our retelling. He's yeah, that might be my fault. He's an interesting one, Javier, because he's not one of the most evil guys in the gang, and he seemed shaky when when the whole sort of philosophical divide was happening towards the end of the game. He did side with Dutch, but if you remember, when they all point their guns, he sort of seems to point his in the air, but he does side with Dutch. So they ask where in Mexico, the bandit tells him some place near Chuparosa. I think he said, that's bandit country. Iris says, Chuparosa, oh, I'll take you down there, John. I'm real popular down there. You just meet me at the ferry. I've got loads of friends down south. Oh, of course he does. The marshal says, I'm sorry. I guess you're heading to Mexico. So this is our new map for Mexico, which wasn't in the, the oh. previous game. Wes Dickens says, there are wonderful, sweet, peace-loving people with a love of social justice. May, your co may you always find coin in your pocket. It's been a real pleasure spending time with you, boy. John Fids farewell to the Marshal and Wes Dickens. Aw, do we ever see Wes Dickens again? Because he's fast become John one of my favourites. heads down to the river. <laughs> okay. Confusing and me. finds Wes Dickens' corpse. After <laughs> <laughs> saying goodbye to Wes Dickens and the Marshal, John heads down to the river to meet Irish, who confusingly is talking to Wes Dickens, who's also there. <laughs> just teleported yeah 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 they're all wizards <laughs> John the time wizard Wes is a space wizard it's a wizard with a gun they literally uh, Irish says um, he's got loads of pals down here you don't need to worry Boyle Wes Dickens says fun down there I'm shocked Irish actually came yeah he says have fun down there I shall miss you John Marston once again they say uh, goodbye to each other uh, John says where are you going he says oh me London Paris maybe Peking I'm a travelling man sir this land is much too small for the likes of me well try not to get yourself killed 
Oh, well, yes, we men of science are not very well loved. A very loved bunch in this land of myth and superstition. I'm off to the civilized world where men like myself are revered and given medals. <laughs> Irish laughs at him. <laughs> so we head over on the ferry crossing here. So it's your, your, uh, we're crossing the river. So I don't, I don't know what the geopolitics were at the time, obviously. It's not as similar to what it was today, but this seems very easy. Like people could just walk back and forth between Mexico and America yeah. like that. And they were, it was Mexico looked at as, I don't know if any of us have the answers to this, so question for the comments, but was Mexico looked at as almost like an extension of America no. by this point? No, it was a different no. country. No, no. Uh, so um, in the, separately. people tried to, Americans did try and claim Mexico, including one of them, Aaron Burr, um, after, oh, yeah. uh, in his later years where he sort of went mad, he tried to sort of form his own colony and take over Mexico. It did not go well. <laughs> Mexico was, this is, once again, as we are entering a fictional state of Mexico. It's, mm -hmm. it's uh, um, San Paraiso, which is a, a, a fictional state made up for this game. But it does reflect, I think at the time, there was a lot of revolution, a lot of uh, uh, turmoil, as there had been in America just a few years before. Mm. Um, so we start to cross the water, where John points out that once again, Irish missed the action at Fort Mercer. What can I say? I woke up with me head in a pair of tits and felt ill-mannered not to get reacquainted with them. John says, at least you got your priorities straight. Yeah, he's a gentleman. You know me. <laughs> sure. Uh, you know me, Johnny boy. I'll be late to me own funeral. They say God invented whiskey to stop the Irish from ruling the world. Aren't stereotypes fun? <laughs> Look out! It's bandits! Oh, no. Um, we get cut loose from the rope and the raft starts to sail down the river as... Uh, uh, People from the south of the border start shooting at us. Uh, in Spanish, they say, you are a traitor, Irish. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> Irish says, I probably should have mentioned there's a bounty or two in my head in Mexico. It's his great friends. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what the hell did you do to these fellas? I recall it was something to do with money and possibly a misunderstanding about a fella's daughter. But the details <sighs> escape me. So we fight them off. We eventually get to a kind of peaceful bit. Um, coming to rest, disembarking, and finding two horses, um, presumably from some of the men we just killed. Iris tells you to look for a Colonel Somebody. He can't remember his name. Oh, Colonel Somebody. <laughs> okay. Well, he says, well, I guess thanks a lot for your help. Um, Iris says, the famed hospitality isn't what, what it once was, and I've never been known to overstay me welcome. So off I grow to greener pastures. Good luck, John. You're an angry and feck ugly man, but not, but not <laughs> a... You. But but not a bad one. They part ways for the final time. Oh, and off he goes. Irish is not going to tell Kitty Girl John <laughs> that he's not beautiful. Kitty Girl John. John rides into the Mexican desert as the clouds hang low in the sky, sun trying to break through. We're surrounded by cliffs and towering cacti. A mournful guitar tune is picked out in this score, and a voice sings. Step in front of a runaway train just to feel alive again. Pushing forward through the night, aching chest, blurry sight, so far away. Cold wind blows the skin, can't believe the state you're in. Who are you trying to impress? Steadily creating a mess. Step in front of a runaway train just to feel alive again. And that's the end of Act One. What a depressing... Ended off with some cowboy emo music. <laughs> Let's go. It's a beautiful song. It's sort of... And it's a, probably one of the most famous moments of this game as you ride into Mexico. The normal soundtrack is this... this, this As happened in the second game, um, this song kind of rings out. Part Two, Mexico. Civilization at any price. Ooh. 
We arrive in Escalera, an old town built up on the side of the hill with a manor at the top. It's surrounded by soldiers and we're approached by a captain and two of his men. My name's Marston. I've been sent here to retrieve a couple of men. Can I speak to your commander? You want to talk to my boss, Gringo? Yeah, I'm obviously not going to do the accents. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, you know. Um, I guess the captain says, am I not good enough for you? No. You think you're better than me? You come to my country, my poor little country, and you think you can be friends with the president? No, I, I'm sorry, sir. <laughs> Things must have come out wrong. Maybe you can help me. He says, you'll be sorry, friend. And the men all aim their guns at John. And then they all burst out laughing. He goes, ah, relax, amigo. I had you. Welcome to Mexico. Come, let's eat, drink, then we'll talk. He introduces himself as Capitan Vincente de Santa. He tells us that his country is in terrible pain. The rebels have seized the people by the throat and destroy our way of life. John tactfully replies that I'm no politician, sir. And I'm no soldier, DeSanta says, but we are both beholden to our time. A brave man, perhaps you've heard of him, Colonel Allende. He is trying to preserve order in our province, to keep our civilization alive. It's tough. These people are confused and easily swayed. Sometimes, in the service of what's right, you've got to do terrible things. It breaks my heart. Marston says, I'm also no moralist, sir. DeSanta says, I wish I enjoyed your freedom. I'm just trying to find a man. An American, an outlaw named Bill Williamson. I believe he came here to seek protection from another outlaw, a fellow named Javier Escuela. You're no moralist, but you hunt outlaws. So it would seem. Have you heard of these men? He tells us if we want to look for outlaws hiding, we should look. Uh, we should look to the rebel scum's leader, Abraham Reyes. Where is he? If I knew, I would be out there hunting him with everything that's true within me. Reyes finds you. Like cholera, Marston says. <laughs> Listen, DeSantis says, you're going to hear a lot of words while you're here. Words like tyrant, words like oppression. <laughs> words that these peasants have been taught but they do not understand. Meaningless words. The armory is suffering from a crisis of reputation. Marston says, even I've heard about the colonel. This is Allende, who's the, the president that they're talking about. He's not famous for his compassion. DeSantis says, that's the point. Have you met Allende? Do you know him? He's a good man, a strong man. He carries the weight of a million problems on his, shoulder, sold, uh, his shoulders. This isn't America, Senor Marston. We are poor. Kindness must take a different form. What's better, to put your arm around a hungry man or to beat him until he grows some food to eat? Put your arm around him. <laughs> put your arm around him. John says, I'm looking for Bill Williamson. <laughs> Pretty much. He's like, I'm back on track. I'm looking for Bill Williamson. DeSantis says Mexico is full of American outlaw pigs lending their services where money can be made. We have a system of law in Mexico, senor, and we do not tolerate people who think they can run it with their own. However, if you help us, no. we will help you. Classic. No one hides from Colonel Allende for long. This rebellion, it's a disease and it's killing our country. John says, don't the people have the right to stand up for themselves? The right, uh, DeSantis says, the right. Don't you throw silly ideas at me. What do you know about the rights of the Mexican people? I'll tell you what's behind it, Senor Marston. Lies, insidious lies. The peasants are stupid, and like cows, they can be herded. Hmm. It only takes a few men to move the many. Marston says, maybe they've just had enough of being called stupid. 
He says, you're talking about things you don't understand. John understands that very well. <laughs> he says, are you a revolutionary? Is that why you're here? Marson says, I was, I suppose, once a revolutionary in a twisted kind of way. Thought we could change the world if we fought hard enough. Change what? I don't know. Maybe that was the problem. DeSantis' revolution is always selfish. It's nothing but greed and ego. Individuals putting their own needs above the needs of others. It's people fighting for change when they don't know what change is. John says, but if you're a poor man beaten down his life, all his life, any change is going to seem good. What? You think overthrowing the government's going to make a poor man rich? For an old, tired revolutionary, you're very naive. What do you want us to do? Walk around giving out money to poor people in Mexico? They go and ride out together. It's very on the nose, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) They ride out together. He talks more about the leader of the rebels, Abraham Reyes. He's a traitor, a liar, a coward and a sinner. A hero who's done nothing. I have more respect for the shit I took this morning than I ever will for that pathetic little worm. So sorry, remind me. So Reyes, head of the rebels. Reyes. Who's the head? Who's the dictator? Allende is is the president. Allende is the president. Reyes is the rebel leader. Okay. He's from a rich. He's a. He's from a rich family. Reyes, that is. A man born in a golden cradle who pretends to fight for the poor. He's taking advantage of the ignorant and the weak-minded. So, we help him. Uh, We lure the rebels onto a trap of it on a train, of all places. So here we can see a little bit more of the Mexican scenery, this sort of beautiful... Uh, rock formations and uh, and yeah, sort of red sandy rock. While riding around uh, the Mexican desert, we find a man in a black suit with a top hat. Oh, why why are you here? He says, "Welcome to Nuevo Paraíso, John." He's sitting by a fire in a camp, and he has a mule with him. It's a really cute mule. Yeah. <laughs> didn't think that would be your takeaway. It's adorable. Sure. It is adorable. It's a cute little donkey, yeah. John says, where do I know you from, mister? The man says, you're very famous, John. I thought it was Dutch the first time we saw him. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't say that at the time, but I fully thought it was Dutch when we first saw him. Maybe that's like 20 years ago, yeah. Mm. Um, the man says, you're very famous, John. You're the man who shot a bunch of banditos as soon as he came into this country. You're a man who decided right and wrong. Between a man and death, a man and his wife. I admire you, John. I hope my son turns out just like you. John says, for your sake, I hope he don't. (laughs) You kill people so easily, but you respect the vows of marriage. That's very curious. I'll let the appropriate authorities judge me, friend. Yes, they will, and they shall. Anyway... I hear an old nun is traveling with some money in the cup for the covenant. He tells you to go and help her. Either that, or he says you could rob her yourself. I'll see you around, John. Uh, in this case, as with the the uh, Arthur playthrough, the choices here are, are not meaningful, but John helps. Did it seem like we only really get choices when this guy is involved? It's clear that any that, that, that this character is there to reinforce choice. Is he the devil? I am not going to tell you who he is right now. I think he's just the devil. <laughs> I think he's coming to give us some sneaky little choice. Over the give next... us free will. <laughs> we weren't meant to have that. <laughs> learned, I've learned a lot about your personal philosophies today, Chase. <laughs> Over the next few days, we help the army and the government. Um, we eventually meet 
Colonel Allende. This is Allende on the left. He's this is the rebel leader. No, no. Allende is, the, is the president. The president. Okay. Keep the man the rebels are fighting against. He is uh, a deeply unpleasant man who keeps an unwilling harem of young women around him at all oh, times. No. Women who are kidnapped from their towns. Stop that. <sighs> yeah. He is not nice. He's in sort of full military regalia, big swooshy mustache and a little soul patch. Uh, and, he's, and he's meant to be our good guy here? Question mark? No, he's the dictator. Oh, he's a dictator. We are doing jobs for him right now. Oh. We are doing jobs for him because the captain says that we'll, he, he'll help us find Williamson and, yeah. and have you. So, Remember the captain was like, oh, put your arm around someone or beat the crap out of them if they're starving. And this is the guy that has uh, that philosophy. Allende is a, a psychopath. He at one point, just because it's funny, threatens to tie John behind a horse and let it drag you around town mm. or let dogs fight you. Um, but then he kind of chills out. He tells us that Javier is from this province. Okay. His father was a drunk who worked as a labourer on land cultivated by my uncle. Men like that are natural allies for Reyes. My people have lived and worked here for a hundred years. We brought civilization, and these people, these monkeys, despise us. We brought them God, and they turned their back on him. Now I fight to help them from themselves, to save them from themselves. I see it in their faces. They would kill me if they could. They see only a tyrant, but I see it the way it is. These people need a ruler. John is begrudgingly made to fight the rebels at this time. Oh, okay. In return for a promised information about Javier. On some of these missions, it seems kind of like John is being sent out woefully unprepared. Like, very little to no backup. Oh, it's funny. The gun... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the gunslinger's tragedy. John and his cute butt... Um, <laughs> Uh, for context, everybody, the shot is clearly showing us John Marston's cute butt. I mean, are, are, that, he's pretty flat. Well, it's just the trousers, okay? He spends all day riding a horse and walking. He's got to have a nice butt. Hey, flat? It, it was 2010, okay? He, he had a big juicy peach in, too. You just didn't see it. John arrives. They didn't know how to render that when this game came out. Yeah, the, the, the jiggle physics weren't quite there. John and his cute non-jiggly butt arrive in the village of Chuparosa. It's a settlement to the west of the map. Was it jiggly in two? <laughs> like yeah, we were riding. The camera's behind his horse and you were just... I remember you were sort of going, God damn, the whole time. They were too busy programming the horse testicles. Yeah, God damn. Um, so we arrive in the village of Chuparosa. It cannot get much more sort of old western than this town, like old western Mexican. It's really cool. There's an old church... Um, these beautiful old stone, stone, old stone buildings, a fountain, a saloon with seats outside await us. As John arrives, he's confronted by these three local bandits. He tries to speak Spanish to them. No, sir. Pardon, pero yo habla un solo poquita español. So does John know any Spanish? Good for him for trying. Habla, habla English. Um, they laugh and say, yeah, gringo, we speak English. And they start to quote some things that they've been told by English people. Oh. You know, like slippery little Mexican, piece of shit, blah, 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 comprende. What are you doing in my country? I don't remember inviting you here. John says, I don't think you did. Um, I don't mean any harm. And they laugh and say, what harm could come to us exactly? Uh, nothing, amigo. I appreciate the welcome committee, but I'd hate to spoil a beautiful afternoon with further unpleasantries. They ask for taxation. The man has a large family to feed. John says, I too have a family friend. So that we may see our families again, I suggest we part ways amicably. <laughs> One bandit, uh, oh, we are being watched, by the way, by a, uh, a strange man. Not that strange man, but by a strange man. 
with silver hair. Mm. Uh, one of the bandits steals John's hat. Oh. No, they're just bullying him. He's just walked yeah. into town and they're just picking on him. We can see as he moves, the old man watching us from afar. Um, the men tell John to take off his boots. They want to steal his boots. John says, as you wish. And he kneels down, rises up and shoots them all dead. With his deluxe edition golden yeah. revolver from this picture. <laughs> whips, whips out that time magic. Yeah. Um, John clearly got the Pruiter bonus DLC. Mm, yeah. The man who's been watching this scene unfolds approaches. He's old with a truly amazing droopy mustache <laughs> and a wonderful hat. He's a real sort of Sam Neill type. They really know how to do droopy mustaches. Oh, yeah. They knew what we wanted. <laughs> he says, oh, very good. Very good indeed, sir. What a great way to improve border relations. An illiterate farmer crossing the river, coming into this civilization, <laughs> and butchering the local peasants. Thank you very much, sir. So John gets bullied, sticks up for himself, and then the daddy of the town basically comes up and goes, you're a moron. Yeah, yeah. So this guy... So nothing new for John. Yeah. So this guy is uh, American, clearly, but he uh, he obviously lives here. Um, the, what, are they like him? He tells... Like John? He tells John... You kill peasants, you become a peasant. Marston says, I never inspired to be anything more. And he says, a socialist, huh? No wonder you left America. <laughs> I would argue John definitely shows socialist principles. Um, and many things, most of them bad, but a man of political principles, no. And what do you do? The man says he'll show John a few tricks. Um, he asks him what his name is. The man says, doesn't matter anymore. John says, I didn't have a name either. I was raised in an orphanage. And the man says, a real American, huh? Wonderful. Just wonderful. They go practice shooting together with the old man saying he knows a few tricks. Why are they besties now? Oh, he's two Americans in Mexico. They just find each other. They old man just called him a moron, though. <laughs> um, his name is Landon Ricketts. He now introduces himself. His name is Landon Ricketts. He says it's not a name that means that much anymore. John says, it means a little. You were famous when I was a boy. John tells him about the hunt for Bill. Landon says, none of this ever ends. Violence, revolution. This place has been a hotbed for rebellion since before the Spanish left. Now there's another local guy running around promising peasants their freedom. Just like the last two or three. Local government. Foul bunch. Hates the government. <laughs> we hate the government. He says, Colonel Allende, he runs this place like a feudal king. He's an awful individual. He says, I have to say, I'm surprised you've heard of old Landon Ricketts. I would have thought a goat like me would have been forgotten by now. A man comes up to us and says, Senior Ricketts, our wagon's under attack. It's clear that Landon, in answer to your to your sort of query, Chase, is something of the sort of unofficial lawman of the town. Maybe kind of a vigilante figure working on behalf of the locals. I see. So he's working with the rebel group? No, he, no. he lives in this town and he helps the locals. Right, okay. He, he's not really engaged in politics. He just, this is his town. He sits there drinking. And when people need help, he helps them. Hmm. Um, we go out and help him. We ride out and shoot some bandits together. Love it. Marson says, I see you ain't lost your touch, Landon. Nobody said I had. You talk real big for a boy who couldn't shoot straight half an hour ago. And you talk big for a man who can't stand up no more. You're a long way from being a Landon Ricketts partner, old or young. All those stories you heard about me were true. I'm not going to stand by and watch good people suffer. They've been beaten down for too long. Marston says, they don't know how lucky they are. Damn right they don't, my sarcastic little apprentice. <laughs> we, we head back to the hotel where a local man, Emilio, says that a gang have kidnapped his sister. 
Marston tries to say, listen, I've got too much on my plate right now. Where's Bill Williamson? (laughs) (laughs) This man's problems pain me, but they're not quite my own. Landon says, those who sit in the fence make a choice in their own way, don't you think? John reluctantly joins Landon on the train ride, and they head out to find Emilio's sister, Louisa. Hmm. Uh, Remember the name Louisa. She's a rebel, and apparently close to the leader, Reyes. She's a pretty young thing, Landon says. That's normally reason enough for Allende. They fight through uh, a sort of cave system. They blow up a door. Bang, bang, bang. Uh, We rescue Louisa. So for context, everybody, uh, on the clip that we're looking at is John, (laughs) Ricketts and Louisa escaping from this cave network where she's been held hostage. Um, And at the bottom, it seems like John is going, right, let's see if we can all get out of here in one piece. And Chase looked at me. proceedings. Why? The word's one piece. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm very hyper fixated on it. I, I, aren't there some terrible one piece games we can cover, or are they just sort of fighting games? Uh, they're, they're not great. Yeah. No, and surely the, the joy is the manga and the big story and living with these characters, right? The games wouldn't. We help Louisa. She says that you're good men, friends of the people of this land. They ask if someone named Javier Escuela was one of the men holding you. She says, no, I don't think so. But I remember that name from prison. Bad people spoke of him. Oh, okay. What's Javier been up to? Being bad. (laughs) (laughs) He's been naughty. Um, Back in town, uh, we find Landon playing poker uh, with some of the locals and visitors. Landon is playing poker with some guests here. Uh, he's saying, thank God my wife died. Means I'm unlucky in love, but lucky in cards. <laughs> sure. A very angry German man next to him says, keep playing, Mr. Ricketts. John joins the group. They've got a lot of foreigners in this town for a town that just immediately ganged up on the new foreigner. Um, John sits at the table and ends up winning a few hands. Landon says, look at that, beginner's luck. I'll take a whiskey if you're buying, Herr Muller. This is the very angry German man, Herr Muller, who's sitting next to us. He turns to John and says... You fucking cheat. John says, excuse me? He says, in a very sassy way, he says, you looked at my fucking cards, you fucking cheat. <laughs> Did he? No. No. Just won that fair and square. Your Yankee friend is a fucking cheat. <laughs> he says, easy, German, calm yourself down. Um, and they all stand up and draw guns on each other. Yes, uh, this is etched in my memory this moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, Landon camps the situation down. He says, we're at an impasse, sir. An impasse. We could all die here and now. And the man says, I'm not, I'm not going to fight you, Ricketts, but the Yankee, him, I don't like. And uh, they agree to have a duel. We're honour bound to, uh, to, to fight him. Um, much like in Hamilton, Landon explains the rules of the duel. Uh, ten duel commandments, if you like. Um, we duel him. There's a dueling mechanic, which I never liked. Oh, it's liked cool. It. It's cool. Like the camera zooms in, and you got to move your hand down slowly, but also be like aiming to target. When I was a kid, I used to just fumble through it because I never got the hang of exactly mm. how it worked. Um, but yeah, we we shoot Hermuller dead in I the street. Thought, I'm surprised there weren't more duels in. RDR2. There are, but they're not story. almost none of them are story essential, and it can it can just happen where like they're semi-scripted so you can be leaving a town and there'll be like a person be like hey you i know who you are i want to duel you and it can happen in the street but it's 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 it only happens i think once in the main story in two um but yes we get a few in this and whenever it happens you get you can see the name muller above we get this sort of like a boss title yeah like a little boss title so 
we shoot Muller, Landon laughs, Mr. Ricketts laughs and says, oh, Muller did always play his hand too early. Come on, I think Mr. Muller's buying drinks. Oh, God. <laughs> they chat at the bar, Landon and John, and he asks John about Javier. He says, we're old friends. We was kind of educated together. So what is this? Some kind of high school reunion sort of thing? <laughs> Wasn't sure that was something that was around in, uh, <laughs> in 1911 or whenever we are by now. Marson says, something like that. Well, you've killed people. You've lived the life. And I tried to stop. I mean, I don't know. I tried to go straight. I did. After I left the gang. After they left me. Left me to die after I'd been shot. They'd all gone crazy somehow. Our old leader, fella you probably heard of, anyway, he more or less lost his mind, went and shot a, people, a bunch of people unfair like. I got shot in a robbery, they left me and I left them. Luisa finds us at the bar. Tells us that Allende is sending more men to their deaths, prisoners who've not been tried. A prominent writer, Castillo, and a local official whose only crime was not putting small holdings in the street when they were late with taxes. Landon Ricketts says, riders and government officials, for once I agree with Allende, nope, some yeah, men no. need to be killed. Well, and, she go, and she goes, Mr. Ricketts, and he goes, ah, and just played her, uh, come on, let's go get him. Um, <laughs> just like that. <laughs> I feel like Screw the Government should be like, this game's Dutch has a plan. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. As, they, as they ride out together to rescue some more people, which we do, um, Landon says, you know, you need to be careful. Rumor has it you are making all kinds of new friends across the state, John. John says, don't pay attention to rumors. He says, be careful. Keep jumping from one side of the fence to the other. You might just get impaled on it. John says, I have to find these two men. With respect, how I do it, no concern of yours. Landon says, choose your tone right, partner. Remember who you're talking to. Who are you, John Marston? Apart from a rat feeding every other hand he can get. My name means something. All you've done is kill a few peasants. And the only real outlaw you've taken on dropped you like a bad habit. Is this seemingly... If, 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 this, is, if this was a big name in the past, was he ever mentioned in RDR 2? Maybe in passing, yeah. I, I, I think I'm 90% sure he is mentioned in passing. Not in the main story, but you can find reference to him, yeah. Um, Landon is trying to help him here, but it's Do we know why he's a big name? Oh, he's just an old West. He was the fastest gun in the West in his day. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting that Mexico doesn't seem to have any kind of, aside from, you know, you've got your rebels, you've got your president, you've got all this, but this is more Wild West than Armadillo and Tumbleweed, it seems. Yeah. You know, I mean, lawless. There's a lot of turmoil and lawlessness. Yeah, for like sure. Like John just shot a guy in the street for, for shouting at him and yeah. no one's batted an eye. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Marston asks politely that Ricketts now watch his tone. Landon says, all I'm saying is, maybe there's a reason people around here don't want to talk to you. They ride in very awkward silence for a little bit. Oh. Landon breaks the silence and says, you must miss your family. And Marston says, it's the only thing that keeps him going. Landon says begrudgingly, you remind me a lot of myself. How I used to be, stubborn and angry. Marston says, you ain't changed all that much. <laughs> Uh, the wagon train, which they're looking for, cuts across the road. Marston and Landon kill all the soldiers there, and they uh, rescue the prisoners by riding the wagon to the American border, because um, the Mexican government know better than to follow them to America. Right. They part ways, Ricketts and Marston, for now. They tell each other it's been nice riding with each other. Landon says, you took me back to another time. Talk to Louisa. She'll help you, and she's well-connected. I hope you find what you're looking for, Marston. They shake hands, and John says, you know what I'm looking for. Landon says, if you say so, and they say goodbye. Bill Williamson. Yeah, that could have made it more clear. <laughs>
We find Louisa and her family at her house. They are packing up to so move. So Louisa's who we rescued from the cave. Yes, she is. Uh, as it becomes more clear, she is fairly high up in the rebellion movement. Right. She has sway. Um, she's well respected. She tells us that her family need to leave. Great and terrible things are coming. The revolution. The country will be in turmoil once more. This time, we hope, is the last time. He says, does that seem likely? And Luisa says, with Abraham Reyes, anything is possible. Yay, Abraham. <laughs> he says, where's your family going? And she says, they're heading to the hills. They have to flee. Uh, John uh, accompanies uh, her sister down to the docks to help her escape on a boat. And when he returns that night, Luisa is sitting on the stoop of her burnt down home. Oh, she's crying. She says, I don't weep for myself, but for my country. Abraham Reyes has been captured. Um, we've not met him yet, by the, the way. The rebel leader. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she weeps. She says her heart is breaking. Uh, she says, in our hearts, me and Abraham are married already, but his family do not approve. Oh. So she's... Uh, Forbidden love. Yeah. <laughs> How could they, when I am little more than a peasant girl? But that's what makes Reyes the man he is. He doesn't care for the bourgeois, snobbery or elitism. He sees the real me, the woman. And she just throws a copy of, you know, Das Kapitala. <laughs> we ride north with her to rescue Reyes. John sneaks inside, gets up to a kind of sniper's nest and clears uh, the prison of guards like an old West John Wick. Um, and this is Reyes here. He unties him after clearing out the guards and says, Louisa sent me. We have to meet her by the river. He says, what? And John says, Louisa, the girl you're marrying. And Abraham says, oh, oh yes, such a devoted thing. Oh, the love of my life. Um, they jump on a horse and they ride like the, the, the wind. Um, <laughs> Abraham says, how do you know my young lover, Laura? And, oh. and John says, it's Louisa. Uh, I saved a life not long ago. And he says, I will not forget this, compadre. You will be rewarded. Money, women, even Louisa, if you want her. Oh, dear. Um, he says, I'm free. I'll write a poem, poem about this one day. He's a poet as well. Oh, good. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we, we love poets on this podcast, but this, not, not this poet. <laughs> um, it's the very stereotypical poet with many lovers, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, yeah the this game likes its stereotypes. Mm. Why does he look like a vampire there? Yeah, he does look rather uh, sleep deprived. We bring him back to Louisa. And he grabs you. She says, the revolution will live on thanks to you, John Marston. Abraham says, you are as a brother to me. And my people will need a man such as you to help our cause. My ranch is in Agave Viejo. And let me say, my brother, that we await you. And they sail off in a boat together. uh, uh, Kind of while Reyes is crooning romantic songs to Louisa. Mm, To Laura. (laughs) Cowards die many times. John finds Captain DeSanta, you remember him, he was sort of the right-hand man of, of uh, Allende, and he says, good news, good news, the colonel himself wants to speak to you. Uh, the colonel has been gross with a woman on a patio bench. Standard. Um, he, says, I'll, he says, I'll save her for later, or I'll kill her and her whole family. They're probably rebels anyway. Fuck. Yeah, he's a proper psycho. Um, anyway, it's good to see you. You're a rare find, a gringo who's also a friend of our country. We welcome you. They say they have wonderful news. You know the men you hunt? We found them. Oh. They've been captured in Chuparosa. I want you and Captain DeSantis to ride out there and you can take possession of them. This is my gift to you. For all your help, senor. Although part of me wishes that you would remain here and enjoy more of our hospitality. Um, so... 
They ride, John rides shotgun as a group of them head out to Barossa to take ownership. What a funny walk John's doing in that. Um, <laughs> the, uh, just for context, um, we have a we have a, a, a screen grab of John walking into a church and he's sort of sh- shuffling zombie-like. He's, he's like leaned back. We arrive and uh, DeSantis says, I told you the colonel would come through for you. Um, you know, always knew this would be the case. John says, are you married or do you... R word, young girls like your colonel. Uh, he's kind of confronting him now. DeSantis says, no, 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 I could never touch a woman like that. It's not my way. But for them, it's an honour. Gross, gross. Stop Everybody that. is so gross. Why is this yeah. game so gross? It's DeSantis says, I sympathise with you, Marston. I'm married to my country, and these rebel traitors are trying to take it from me. No, I never took a wife. A woman can be a powerful force like my mother, or a destructive force like my mother. I find, <laughs> I find it I find it better to avoid them. Too many strong men become weak by giving in to temptations of the flesh. Gay? Like, this guy's gay, right? Like, and, you know... Yeah, it, it says it. Yeah, just. I, uh, I am heavily appreciating the many queer readings you're finding <laughs> yeah, in, in a, a rockstar game. I would say it's generous to read uh, <laughs> yeah. kind of, uh, that into most rockstar properties. Well, I get it. Mm. Mm. John heads first into the church in town where they say they're holding Esquire and Williamson. He says, uh, "They're right in front of you. Go on, go in, go in." There's no sign of Williamson and Esquire. Oh, that's a surprise, Santa, isn't it? Santa appears behind them and says, Gracias for your service to this land. Santa, that's not the present we wanted. <laughs> and a soldier rifle butts him in the head uh, from behind and John collapses unconscious. Just unnecessary. <laughs> like, he's been helping you. He hasn't wow. been a threat. He has been helping them, but he's also been helping the rebels. Oh, I guess. Um, so... John comes to being dunked in some water in a trough. Um, he wakes up and is grabbed by the Santa. Marston, you've betrayed this land enough. I hope you have a clear conscience, because you're about to meet God. <laughs> a guard raises a gun to John's face, and the guard is promptly shot dead. Reyes appears on the on the wall. My brother! Um, they shoot through the men, and Reyes cuts him free. Reyes gives a speech to the assembled people. My brothers, today we have proven that the days of this evil regime are numbered. Soon we shall be free, living together in a noble republic, ruled justly by fine men. But but the job is not done. Our struggle is not over. We will fight on, day and night, until local tyrants like Allende are no more. Him and all his dogs are brought to the sword. We shall be free. Is Viva the, la me- revolution. Is Viva the captain Mexico. dead now? Uh, no, the captain escapes. Oh, cool, cool, cool. And the crowd chant, Viva Mexico. Afterwards, uh, he kind of uh, Reyes says to you like, "I love that. I love getting that buzz off them. That's what that's what gets me going." So he's he believes in his cause. He's a charismatic leader. It's clear that I think that if he was put into a position of power, however, he wouldn't necessarily know what the hell to start doing. He's a confidence man. Well, I don't know if it's fair to call him a confidence man. I think I think like his his he's got he's got his ideals and his cause. Later, we find Luisa and her group of rebels in the wilderness. She tells us her father was killed yesterday. The army found him, accused him of treason, cut out his heart and fed it to the dogs. Why are they so vicious? Allende did this. My father must not die in vain. His death must mean something. John says when there are guns or money, there will never be any freedom, Louisa. She says, no, we're on a movement. The movement's on the brink of a great victory. Allende knows this. That's why the kind of brutality is stepping up, maybe. 
John says, I've got my own family to worry about. Where's Bill? <laughs> Louisa says, I no longer have a family. Just the cause. Yeah, what are the Pinkertons up to? Do they, do they know what John's doing? Does he Where's to, anybody? This is like... Does he have to check in with them or something? <laughs> the game has pivoted to, to, to a Mexican revolution. Well, <laughs> the Pinkertons have sent him after Williamson. So. Yeah, but like, does he have a timeline? Like, Or is it just kind of... Get him at some point, or we'll kill your wife. Yeah, it's hard when you can't ping a message on Teams, isn't it? <laughs> Just checking in on the Williamson project. Um, I'll have it with you by uh, close of business. <laughs> close of business. He's going to have a revolution on his hands by close of business. Luisa says, I no longer have a family. I just have the cause. Please, good actions make you a good man. John says, then I'm doomed, but I will help you out of respect for your loss. She thanks him. They ride out to find uh, they're looking for a sort of con army convoy. She says, you've done so much for me and my family, but I can't forgive you for helping Allende for what you did to the rebels. He says, I'm here for two men. That's it. Not to take size. Where's Bill? And certainly not to fight in a war that isn't mine. It makes no sense to me. Louisa tells him, the second person to get to tell him this, you make a choice by not making a choice, you know. He says, yeah, Allende betrayed me. I saw him do bad things, um, things that even disgusted me. She says one day she'll cut Allende's heart out. But you, me, him, we're all shooting people. Doesn't really seem we're too different. We're very different. Louisa says... I don't know. I feel like is doing a lot more than just shooting people. Well, I, hmm. Louisa says the difference is why. The ideals we hold. They can never be a revolution without blood. You Americans forget too quickly. That's the problem. If it wasn't for your revolution, you'd still be making tea for the English. We fought off the Spanish. We fought off the French. We even fought off the Americans. Finally, Mexico won its independence. And all we've done since is fight each other. John says, at least you're keeping up traditions. Nothing ever really changes. <laughs> Louisa says, Louisa, Louisa says, you are a man who has lost his spirit. John says, no doubt. I once believed it was possible to make a difference. The men I'm chasing, they did too. If we spilled enough blood, we could change the way people think. Louisa says again, revolutions are always one with blood. They had a plan. Had a yeah, plan. they had a plan. And also she's not wrong. And Quite literally every revolution yeah. in blood. And John says, and after the fighting's done, Louisa says freedom. And John says, we ain't never free. Not while there's a government. <laughs> <laughs> Louisa says, I will stay and fight. I'm ready to die if necessary. We are a close family. Me and Emilio too. Do you have Do you have children, Mr. Marston? John says, I have a son at home and a daughter in heaven. Oh. Louisa, oh. Louisa says, is your son looking after his wife, your wife? John says, I hope not. He's not much younger than you. I don't know. He's still young. We tried to protect him. Give him a gentler childhood than we had. Guess I failed at that. I think... The it's just a small thing because clearly this was never referenced really in Red Dead Two, but the the concept of John's daughter, I quite appreciate the gravitas that it's given in the sense, but without it being um, wallowing, yeah. you know, like the, the throwaway line there of like I've got a daughter in heaven, yeah. and like because again we know from Red Dead Two that there was no daughter there, there was no daughter referenced there, mm -hmm. so it's all up in the air of when it happened. But my reading is that 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 happened between Red Dead 2 and now, which means that it had to be... I don't be... think we get clarification, so it could be... Um, and I, I, just, I just like that it's it's a it's an unnecessary character detail that I think we adds We do hear from lot. several parents in this game, like Drew, for example, who talks about how many children he's lost. You know, this is, this is still a brutal point, yeah. place to... Anyway, they arrive at the train bridge. Um, 
she asks John if he's familiar with dynamite, and John gets war flashbacks, sweating, thinking about Red Dead 2. It was the second I heard train bridge, and I went, oh no. Well, dynamite, if you remember in the first game, was a nightmare. Um, So... They blow up the convoy. Hey. Bang, bang, bang. Connie's taken after Arthur. Yeah. So proud of him. <laughs> so uh, we find Allende, uh, not Allende, we find oh. we find Reyes uh, having sex with a woman who is definitely not Luisa. Um, and John sort of again tries to remind, uh, remind him who Luisa is. You're betrothed. Yeah, absolutely. Is he or does she just think they are? It's Well, she just thinks, I think. I don't think he know, he doesn't know who she is. Probably promised her one day. Yeah. Uh, John talks about Dutch. Um, John says Dutch didn't see it that way. We robbed banks, stole from the rich, and gave our money to people who needed it more. Reyes says, so he was a revolutionary too, like me. (laughs) I suppose he saw the system of power was rotten, that good people had been crushed for too long, and he he believed that change could only succeed if it was brutal and relentless. Make America what he felt it was supposed to be. Oh, I thought you were about to say great again, <laughs> but this is 2010, isn't it? I like the sound of this Dutch. Another violent idealist, says Reyes. Where is he now? Barson says, I don't know, but I need to find him once I'm done with them too. Oh, oh, final boss. In the end, he went insane, lost faith in everything and everyone. Abraham says, you have quite a story, John Marston. I really am a little jealous. It's poetic potential, I mean. It would make an excellent Carrillo, an excellent Carrillo. Or an excellent game. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Once again, he doesn't remember who Louisa is. Marston says, she thinks she's your wife. Is he having this whole conversation while no, still no, having no. sex? No, no, he, he, he's, he's at least socially aware enough to finish having sex uh, before uh, engaging in, in... Well, John watches, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so Marston says, she, you know, she thinks she's your wife. And Abraham says, my wife, these peasant girls, they believe every word a fellow says, so naive. It's really quite charming. I love peasants, don't you love peasants? I love them. Such a purity. John says, aren't you going to marry her? And and Abraham says, marry a peasant. Dear boy, don't be absurd. I'm going to be the next president of Mexico. My wife will meet ambassadors, kings, other great men. The very thought I would marry some peasant girl in the hands of a farmer. Well, I don't think so. My mother will turn in her grave. Okay, so he it, he doesn't care about any cause or freeing anyone. He just oh, wants he, to be the next, con- the new president. Okay, sorry, my bad. I don't know that I think he doesn't agree with the cause or believe in the cause. I don't know that, I, but I, I, yeah. Well, yeah. my reading is that his cause is, I just want to be the new president. Well, possibly, possibly. Um, so, we decide to storm El Presio, um, the, the sort of fortress... Um, Allende's fortress. And there's still no hint of where Javier and Will- Bill is through all of this. <laughs> Why is John still here? <laughs> Go anywhere. Mexico is a big country. Go anywhere else. As as they as they head, uh, as they sort of arrive um, at the fortress, he's talking about Escuela. John is talking about Javier Escuela. He says he was a torn man, a cynic who wanted desperately to be a romantic. Abraham says, where are you, John? You're a romantic who wants to be a cynic. John says Javier would die fighting for what he believed in. He had a lot of passion, but no love. Although he really admired Dutch, of course, but then we all did. When Dutch started falling apart, it hit Javier harder than most of us. He went crazy. It was like the only thing he'd ever believed in turned out to be a fraud. Abraham says, you talk about him with fondness. He says, it's not exactly fondless. He was close once, but he never cared for me or anyone else. Not any of his so-called brothers. I'm not here for revenge. I just need him and Williamson. (laughs) 
As Abraham asks if he's enjoyed his time in Mexico. He says, I don't know. One way or another. <laughs> That's not a no. <laughs> no he, says, not. I'm, he says, I'm not sure. Some of them have been kind. A lot of them have tried to kill me. I don't care about who a man is or where he's from. If he treats me right, I'll do the same. Abraham says, it's that simple for you. You'd make a fine socialist. And Marston calls him out and says, what about the Chinese workers you've got here? I heard you ain't exactly made them very welcome. Sorry, the what? Oh, is this like a mission we didn't see? Did yeah, I miss that? It's not really something we cover, but it's like, yeah, in, in Mexico at the time, uh, uh, Chinese workers were treated very poorly. And Abraham says, that's different. They're an inferior race. Oh, well, there we go. Stop it! John says, you really do have all the makings of a great leader. So, we ride a bit, and um, Abraham says, maybe one day you can return to Mexico like Landon Ricketts. Famous outlaw come to die in the sunshine. I could always use a cynical American renegade on my staff. He then tells you to pipe down for a little bit because he's got the weight of a nation on his shoulders to think about. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure... I'm going to use that next time. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure he finished, he talks, you don't he just talks and then tells you to pipe down. I'm absolutely using that if I want to like end the next morning to end a conversation. <laughs> we storm the gates. Uh, the way we do this is there's a, a carriage loaded up with dynamite, TNT, it's lit. John has to ride it and jump it's off lit. it. Yeah, it's lit. It's lit. Um, it, John has to jump off it at the last second um, so it crashes through the gates and blows up. I died so many times as a kid doing this because I couldn't work out when to jump off the car. <clears throat> so, we blow open the gates and storm the camp. Um, and we storm the camp, uh, shooting through the soldiers, the government men, um, and Abraham shouts to John to go and look for Escuela. We will deal with these cabrones. Marston finds Javier hiding inside. Finally. Marston says, Hello, friend. It's been a long time. Javier says, Hello, brother. It's good to see you. I heard you were coming. You took your time, no? Come on, you're not going to shoot your own brother. We was family. John says, We were. And then you went crazy and family didn't mean so much. So, you're going to do the government's work? And what do you do? You just work for a different government, says John. Come on, brother, we should go our separate ways. What you and Dutch did was wrong. The way you left me was wrong. I ain't a judge, but as it turns out, it's you or me. The way I see it, might as well be you. This has just kind of, like, happened. There doesn't seem to be much build-up to this. To what? Finding Javier? Yeah. We're in the middle of storming the, the kind of president's fortress. And so are we to assume that the president knew he was here the whole time? He was here the whole time. The president was sheltering, uh, sheltering him, yes. Why? Is he important? Or is it just to spite John? <laughs> I guess he's paying him. I think Javier's probably paying him mm, yeah. um, for, for shelter. Javier rich enough to make a president care about no, it's probably also just a little bit of good old-fashioned you know javier's mexican john isn't screw the american you know so john says it's either you or me the way i see it it may as well be you javier says we thought you was dead brother i promise i'm telling the truth besides i can give you bill i can give you dutch dutch, uh, dutch is uh, dutch is in colombia i can take you straight to him John says, you Doesn't sound to... very convinced. And says, you left me to die, save your own skin, and now you expect me to care about you. You got it all wrong. I always loved you. Even now. He pushes a crate onto John and leaps out a window and goes, go back to your farm, John. John chases him down, hog ties him, sort of lassos him, hog ties him. And he goes, where's Bill, you... He lassos him? Yeah, you can lasso anyone in this world. Um, and also the farm. The farm implies that Javier's known where John is all this time. That's weird, isn't it? That is weird that he's I, known. Unless he's heard while he's been in Mexico, but yeah. Mm. 
Keeping tabs on him. Yeah. How does that more than he literally just not 20 seconds ago went, I didn't know where you were. Mm. Now go back to your farm. Javier says, Bill isn't here. He's with Allende. Okay. Marston says, I didn't come here to kill you. This is just business. Javier says, come on, amigo. Abigail wouldn't want this. Marston says, Abigail would have killed you already. She always thought you was a creep. <laughs> he says, we were family, brothers. Marston says, like Cain and Abel, I guess, leaving each other for dead. <laughs> Brings him to jail. Outside, the rebels finish off the government forces. Uh, no sign of Allende. John rides to the border with Javier, where he's met by Agent Ross. Oh, and he, how did he know that he was done and ready? Telegrammed him, I guess. Um, <laughs> Look, they've been, they've been following him this whole time. <laughs> Ross says, Mr. Marston, fancy seeing you down here. I must say it's a pleasant surprise to see you. The other man, Archer, says, well done, Mr. Marston. Now Javier gets to see how far the hands of justice reach. Come on, get in the damned automobile. I wrote here, it's always very jarring to see a car in this universe. (laughs) It's one of those, like, timeline things. Yeah. Where you need to realize that, like, woolly man that's existed at the same time as, uh, fucking Cambridge and stuff. And it's like, what? There's some weird, there's some weird ones. That is weird. Yeah, like, uh... Oh, these fun facts. Okay, cue the music. (laughs) Like, what what was the other one that, it's like, something very modern was happening at the same time as, like, the Aztec Empire? Yeah. There, um, it's, 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 it's you've gotten slightly confused. I think it's it's Oxford existed the same time as the the Aztec Empire. Wow, I did not know that. And also, Woolly Mammoths. No, Woolly Mammoths went extinct tens of thousands of years ago. I'm fairly certain that I'm gonna Google that. Fun facts watch. only work if we're yeah. pretty set with our facts. <laughs> Woolly, Woolly Mammoths went extinct tens of thousands of years ago. <laughs> Stay tuned for the reveal to this fun fact next episode. Cut, cut the music. Cut the music. Next. Next. <laughs> John asks uh, Agent Ross if we can assume that one of my commitments is cleared. Uh, They say, unfortunately, nothing is cleared, John, until all your obligations are met. We need you to find Williamson. Head back to Blackwater as quick as you can. We have reason to believe Dutch Vanderlyn is in the area. Then why don't they deal with him? Legit. Because the Pinkertons are the worst. It feels like they seemingly have more power. Yeah, they got all the intel. They just like watching John squirm. Well, yeah, he's doing the dirty work, isn't he? Um, Ross turns back just as they leave and says, Oh, your wife sends her regards. And they drive off. Mm -hmm. John heads back to the nearby town to find it's erupted in protests and fighting in the street um, with locals scrapping with government forces. It seems like the revolution may well be underway. He finds Abraham Reyes on his knees being beaten up by some government soldiers. Abraham shouts up, Welcome to Mexico! Me and my brothers are just discussing the future of the country. <laughs> so, we uh, we get ready to shoot them. Um, they point their guns at John, and Louisa, loving bride-to-be, uh, runs out with a knife uh, and is shot dead by one of the soldiers. No! Yeah. John, I was hoping she was about to stab him! John yeah. kills them. Yeah, she... she. I mean, Louisa, if, if it didn't come across, uh, absolutely awesome. Um, a, a true revolutionary, a true, true, uh, a true believer, died for a man that barely knew her name. Yeah. Um, so the forces rally around Abraham and start the push on the government man. Bang, 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 bang. Um, we defeat uh, the nearby forces with John once again finding a machine gun to mow down um, the government forces. Why are there so many machine guns? Well, I guess we are in like an arm, army territory here. At least it makes. This more also sense. these look like mounted like. World War One, Two era 
mounted machine World guns. World War One is four years away from. And also, is it really? Yeah. What the. F- this is so like, this is 1910? 1910, 1911, I think. So, and also bear in mind, Chase, the, the machine guns were used to fight the Native Americans uh, during, like, not early, early colonizing times, but during that, that previous time. The Lakota tribe, and I know this because we'll talk about it when we get to my stuff with Bioshock, um, the Lakota were taken out with, like, howitzer guns and stuff. It's wounded knee happened as a result of those sort of guns. So this this gun here has got the kind of crank that mm. you turn around. It fires as you, as you turn it around. Um... So, we break down the gates of the President's Mansion, fighting our way through, um, just in time to see he and Bill escaping in an armoured carriage. Sorry, who and Bill? Uh, the, uh, the President. Allende. Okay, um, I, I was hoping they were going to escape in a hot air balloon. <laughs> Abraham, as we've learned, that can be tricky. Um, Abraham and John mount up together and chase after um, Allende and Williamson eventually shooting the drivers um, and we can hear a voice from inside going, what the hell are you doing? And uh, Allende says, we're coming out, don't shoot. <laughs> and he throws Bill out of the wagon. <laughs> <laughs> and he basically says, get out, get out, Bill, you dummy. Um, I'm coming out, don't shoot. Take Williamson, let me leave. I will leave the country, I promise. Um, so he steps out and holds his gun, uh, holds his sword rather, over over Bill for you. Marston and Reyes kill Williamson and Allende respectively. Wow! So okay. we ex we execute Bill. Do you think the Pinkertons will take a corpse? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh. I think it's kind of dead or alive. Ah. So Williamson gone, Javier gone, just Dutch left. It seems. And Allende dead. Was uh, everybody else from the game dead? Um, well, okay. So Sadie's off bounty hunting. Charles survived. Uh, Charles, but again, Charles, went off. Charles goes Uncle's to... about. So why do they seem like only Uncle's at the farm? Three? Uncle's at the farm. Remember. Well, to be fair, well, we don't know where Uncle is right now because we just know that John's family are under some sort of. Oh, good point. Yeah, sorry. He was at the last we saw. Uncle was Uncle, at the farm. I don't think Uncle's name really gets mentioned um, up to this point. So um, up to this point, he's coming later. He has... he's gonna he's gonna take down Dutch. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I suppose there's some of the only big gang members left. Like a dead. Yeah. Um, and most of the girls went off to, to start life, as you know, as a writer. One of them gets married. A couple we don't actually learn about. Very few we don't learn about. But anyway, Abraham says, Allende is dead. Mexico is mine. My people are free, and it's all thanks to you, John. John says, and to the people who laid down their lives. People like Louisa. Abraham says, oh, yes, she was very brave. She'll be missed. Who was she again? John says, your peasant wife-to-be. Oh, of course. She'll have a day named after her. Laura's day. John goes, Louisa. Oh, yes, yes. And you're Laura, too. Sorry. Let's get back to politics. I trust you'll join us in riding on the Capitol. Marston says, I'd love to. But with Williamson dead, my jailers need me back in Blackwater. They part ways. Marston says, I doubt you'll even remember me, Abraham. But it's been an experience. Good luck with revolution. He grabs his hand and says, if you win power, remember why you wanted it. Abraham says, travel safely, amigo, vamos. And that is the end of Act 2. Wow. Remember why you want it. He wanted it because he wanted more women. You, the, 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 the kind of um, maybe rose-tinted reading uh, or, or the more generous reading of Abraham is that he is someone who believes in it. He is power-hungry and he's a, you know, a horrible womanizer. But yeah, the, the, the cynic, the more cynical reading of it and, and perhaps the safer one, um, which Monty kind of pointed out earlier, is... is He's solely power hungry, and we do not think is yeah. Is this just another dictator in waiting? Yeah, he's just uh, gotten rid of one despot and replaced him. I, I would argue that's what we've done. But yeah, that's the cynic in me. 
But yeah. act, act two complete. Sick. Act All right. Complete. Part three. We head back to America. Going straight to the town of Blackwater, which um, we were at very briefly at the start of the game when we arrived on the boat. Is that not the one that we could never go to until the very end? Exactly. So it's like the most built up town. I've got a bit of a picture here. So like paved streets, um, you know, red brick buildings. There's the, it's the place with the cinema and the the photographer in the in the last game. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, again, it's, it's always very jarring coming back here because it's like this, uh, you know, modern built up trees in the streets and yeah. Chase, is that the right number? Sorry, everyone, we're looking at, uh, flags. Chase, is that the right number of stripes? <laughs> it doesn't look like it. Uh, it's, it's, it's meant to be 13, but there might just be artistic liberties taken here. Well, Who knows? Maybe. Thing. Well, might... No, mayhaps in the, or. That's seven, mayhaps, in this world there were only seven colonies. That's a good point. Yeah, it is an alternative America. Fair enough. Yes, yeah, But also, yeah, maybe then, uh, I don't know. Um, Who cares? We head into <laughs> the did. police station, <laughs> announcing that we're here to see Agent Ross. We get sent upstairs where we find Agent Arthur. Um, Arthur, God, that was a bit of a Freudian slip. He wishes he found Arthur. We find <laughs> Agent Archer at the top of the stairs. Mr. Marston, so glad to see you. How was your journey? John says, where are my wife and son? Being well looked after. Well looked after. I think they're dead. You think they're dead? Yeah. I wouldn't put it past the Pinkertons. I wouldn't put it past the Pinkertons. Because I feel like at the end of all this, they're just going to kill him anyway. Do you think? Yeah. Do you think they're going to hold up to a bargain? I don't know. Have we ever seen them? Uh, Yeah, we've never seen them hold up to a bargain, have we? No. No. Yeah. That would certainly be harrowing. John says, do you want me to take out a gun and blow a hole in your head right now? Do you want that? I got what you wanted. I got Williamson and Escrella. Stop playing games with me. Ross emerges. No one's playing games with you, Mr. Marston, but if we were to play some games, there'd be some interesting ones. Like hanging you for murder, or confiscating all your property of that little farm of yours, or having you put in the electric chair. Those are the sort of games we could play, but we choose to play a different game, so calm down. Marston says, where's my wife? Ross says, I forget, but I hear it's very nice this time of year. Mr. Marston, I've never insulted your meager intelligence. Do not insult mine. We've done this little deal for your freedom in exchange for all the men from your old gang. You gave us Williamson and Escuela. We still don't have Dutch Vanderland, but we know where he is. Marston says, then go and shoot him. Yeah. No! <laughs> yes! Yeah. Ross says, no, sir, I want you to shoot him for me. Then I'll let you be. The last thing I want to do is make martyrs out of all these people. He can be killed by some petty squabble by another lowlife. They believe Vanderlyn is holed up with a group of renegades near the... Is Dutch still a big enough name that he would become a martyr? Like a martyr to who at this point? I feel like cowboys are on the way out. Good question. Um, Again, maybe it's a legal thing. You know, it's easier for some nobody outlaw to kill someone than having to do all the paperwork, I'm not sure. They believe Vanderlyn is holed up with a group of his new gang near the wreck of the Serendipity Riverboat. He did. Yeah, he's got his new gang. He says, Mr. Fordham, Mr. Marston, shall we go? Oh, and Mr. Marston, your wife and son are doing well. Let's both try and ensure things stay that way. As we head downstairs, we hear a familiar voice in the lobby. I have a patent for that, sir. This is an outrage. Oh, he's arrested. Ah, uh, Mr. Marston, you're alive. Hello, Wiz Dickens. 
hold on. Why is that Tom Hanks from the Polar <laughs> Express? So just for context, anyone listening along, uh, Wes Dickens is in the lobby being arrested by a policeman who his police uniform uh, very well of the day and his moustache make him look exactly like the train conductor <laughs> yeah. um, from Tom the Polar Hanks Express. <laughs> Isn't that the movie where Tom Hanks also played the little boy? He played all the characters, didn't he? He played every... I don't think he played the little boy, did I'm he? going to look this up and I will let you know in due course. You continue. <laughs> I don't think he played the little boy, but he did play like half the adult characters. Right. He was also Santa Claus. That was a weird movie. I didn't like that movie. No, I didn't. It was a very uncomfortable Christmas watch. Mm. It's not Except fun. for the hot chocolate scene, because that scene's iconic. Okay, yeah, wait, no, I've, I, so I know, I know, I know, I've got a list here of who he plays. He plays the conductor. Does he play the kid? He plays the conductor. He plays the hero boy. Does uh, he play the boy? So somebody uh, voices it, but... Well, what the hell does he do? Tom Hanks does the motion capture. <laughs> Why? That's such an extra step. <laughs> he also plays Santa Claus, the narrator, the hero boy's dad. So he plays the dad of himself. Um, so anyway, Wes Dickens, he's arrested. Yes. He's got a patent for something. So, Marston says, Hello, Wes Dickens. I thought you was headed to Peking. So did I, so did I. A long story. But now it seems I'm being put under arrest and charged with narcotics possession or some other nonsense. Marston says, Ross, please have them release this man. Ross says, Why? He says, because he's a harmless old fraud, the kind that built this country, and he helped me get Williamson. They agreed to release Wes Dickens, <laughs> who's very relieved and sort of very awkwardly leaves the station. <laughs> like He's sort of doing a little arm dance because he doesn't know where to put it. Um, we get in the car with the Pinkertons, and we head to the wreck of the Serendipity. Isn't this something, says Ross. Lawmakers and lawmakers. What is the serendipity? Yeah, that was going to be my question. I I mentioned it a minute ago. It's the boat where they believe that Dutch's men, it's a wreck of a ship they believe Dutch's men are holed up in. Ross says, according to my files, you're the whore's son, after uh, Marston calls him a a son of a whore. Now Now what I can recall from the files, let's see, you killed hundreds of people, you robbed at least 50 banks that we're aware of, Marston says, we were told it was a prize if you got to 50. Um, (laughs) He says, I want my family. And Ross says, I'm sure the men you murdered want their families too. Come on, you're not stupid. You're not that stupid anyway. We both know how this has to be. Could all be over today. As soon as we find Dutch, you can go home and play at being a farmer or whatever else you're pretending to do with your life. First it was Bale, now Dutch. After Dutch, it'll just be someone else. Where does it end? It ends when we say it ends. You're in no position to make demands. The life you've lived, you don't just walk away, buy a few chickens and make it all disappear. You should be dead or rotting in a jail cell. We are giving you chance at a new life. I don't like that I'm agreeing with the Pinkertons here. No. They're not wrong. About what? That he's a raging murderer and criminal. I mean, mean, he he mainly killed outlaws. Like, I don't think we ever saw evidence that John killed an innocent person. Never. No, he was a man at war. Well, his own war. I don't want to say personal morals agrees with that. That is still murder. (laughs) Yeah, but the Pinkertons are murderers, you know. um, But they have the government on their side. And also, Chase, he's got to get his Red Dead redemption. Uh, You have no idea how funny that is, uh, how good that is right now. He says, Ross says to him, we're giving you a chance at a new life. A chance at redemption. Oh, very good. (laughs) You can't erase your past, Mr. Marston, but we can. He talks about the car. It's such an elegant way to travel. What do you think of the automobile, Mr. Marston? Slow, says John. <laughs> but it's so convenient and reliable. Are you comfortable? No. 
Do you see this, Mr. Fordham? The brooding cowboy. There aren't many of these left, you know. Bit of a cliche, admittedly, but still a dying breed, just like the buffalo. Just as dumb, but not quite as noble. I love that this entire conversation, very quickly, oh, this entire conversation is Ross OK boomerang John. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Continue. We arrive at the wreck of the Serendipity. It's an old sort of bayou, riverboat. Yeah, it's kind of covered in, in, in green algae and moss. And We find the Pinkerton's informant, the man who told us what was going on, tied up on the upper deck. Archer says, good God, that's Nastus, our informant. What the hell's going on? We untie him, just in time for him to say, it's a trap. Oh... John carries Matt Nastus as he's been injured and he can't walk. We're attacked by members of the new gang as we flee the riverboat. This is the new gang. It is worth pointing out the new gang are entirely Native Americans. Hmm. Is there significance there or is it just coincidental? Not to step on your toes, Neil, but in Red Dead 2, Dutch obviously pretended that he, he sympathised with the Native American cause and he did make a couple of offhand comments about, like, you know, they'd, they'd make a great gang. They'd make a great uh, addition to the gang, these people. Like, Dutch, they, Dutch's history is one of, arguably, is almost entirely one of taking advantage of disenfranchised people, mm. whether it be mm. white orphans or, in this case, taking advantage of... I don't know, I can't speak for these people, uh, these individuals, but certainly in two, that was what was happening. So, we mm-hmm. head back to the car... And we managed to bring the injured man, Nastas, back to Blackwater. Oh no, it's an escort mission. <laughs> oh no. As they're driving back, the car does promptly break down, just as Ross is talking about it. Love it. They managed to fix it. He goes, a horse would never do this. Yeah, yeah. Unless yeah. get shot, but you know, we're going to ignore that. <laughs> like Arthur's horse. Oh god, Arthur. <laughs> uh, we arrive back downtown in uh, Blackwater. Um, at the office of an anthropologist named McDougal. He was thrown out of Yale for degeneracy, says Archer, which should tell you something, says Ross. Indeed, but he's been helping us out with the natives in this area. We'll send a doctor. Now, this is McDougal. Oh, dear Lord. Oh. I don't even know how to describe this one. I'm not going li- to... Because of the way that his mustache is rendered, I fully thought that he had, like, a split-open, like, Jeff the Killer-esque smile. He yeah. looks like a skeleton with a wig on. Yeah, he's a sort of bedraggled... Um, he looks terrifying. ...scientist-looking guy, sort of quite emaciated face. And I don't know how much y'all know about this, but um, the word anthropologist in the uh, 19th or 20th century should send chills down your spine um, just because they were the people that were trying to, often in his case, work out, yeah, work out theory of race mm. and things like that. Oh, but mm. anyway... Um, this is Harold McDougall. He says he's going to help do the best he can to help patch up Nastus and uh, and find some information. Um, apparently, he's been a good friend to the U.S. government, just like you, Mr. Marston. Uh, why don't you see if you can help him study the native problem? No, don't no. do that. Marston uh, visits the lawman the next day. Uh, an informant just told him interesting news. Our mutual friend, Mr. Vanderlyn, is about to pay call on his bank manager. What do you say to having a little financial discussion with the fellow hmm. this way? They head into the other part of town, going up onto the roof to cover the entrance of the bank with snipers. The only way in or out of the bank is through that door. Well, see, that flag has the right number of stripes. Well, maybe the others are just sort of tied just, to the bottom. Just banners or something, yeah, tied. Yeah. The gang emerge and they start to be shot down by the lawman. Ross says, head into the bank. Get Dutch. Be careful. There may be innocent people in there. We clear out the bank. We can't quite yet find Dutch. 
We explore upstairs. There's John rescuing a woman. And we enter a room to find Dutch. He and his crony each have a woman hostage. He looks at Marston. It's nice to see you, John. Hello, Dutch. How's Abigail? Well, I hope I ain't seen her in a while. Because you've been chasing me. Let the woman go, Dutch. Of course, of course. How's your little boy? He must be, what, 15, 16? Doesn't time fly. Don't adjust. It's over, man. Of course, of course. I surrender, John. You're the master now. I've been my master since you left me to die. We all make mistakes, John. I never claimed to be a saint. But equally, I never took you for an errand boy. Just trying to help my family, but Dutch, by making compromises, we all have to. You want the girl, Dutch, John? You always were the romantic sort. You know, gentlemen, this man here, he married a whore. Used to ride with us. We all had her, but he married her. You know that makes him a better man than us. He's a better man. Have the girl, John. Easy, Dutch. She's a parting gift from me. John shoots the woman in the head and throws her at uh, John and the lawman and flees. Dutch shoots the woman in the head, you Yeah. Mean. Okay. Yeah, he shoots his hostage. That's brutal. That is, that's vicious, that, yeah. him doing that. They ride out, chasing him out of town. Yeah. They ask, uh, they ask him if Dutch has changed since he last saw him. And he said, no, he's still the same crazy bastard he turned into those years ago. How was it seeing him after all this time? Did it tug on your heartstrings? Did it make you remember the end of Red Dead 2? <laughs> um, uh, Marston replies to Ross. He kind of reminds me of you, violent piece of shit who went and confused himself with God. <laughs> Isn't that sweet of you? And now you must kill him. Your side is chosen. My side ain't chosen. My side was given. I'd kill you a hundred times before I killed Dutch if there was an option. Hallelujah. I think we're finally reaching an understanding, Mr. Marston. Who the hell are you fellas anyway? You lawmen? You army? We are neither, Mr. Marston, but I have the authority over both. Has this whole time you not even know what the Pinkertons are? <laughs> Who are you? Where am I? He doesn't read the papers, does he? Uh, Dutch escapes. I know you, part three. John finds the strange man. It's going to give us a choice. <laughs> well, so you think he's the devil is that I'm fully convinced that he is the devil he even looks like those classic depictions of the, like the devil when he comes to you we find him on a hill overlooking John's ranch at Beecher's Hope ain't this a beautiful spot he says John says what are you doing here my accounts I'm an accountant in a way what is your name <laughs> What? I feel like these days saying I'm an accountant in a way means a very different thing to yeah, what yeah, it yeah. meant back then. <laughs> back when they wrote it. Yeah. And now all I've been imagining is this dude oh, spinning no. around a pole. <laughs> wow. I love him. Wait, what? Is an accountant a term for a stripper nowadays? Is oh, that what that is? Just no, generically uh, for a sex worker? Well, again, oh, I didn't if, know that. If you, it's a, it's a, a safe way of describing yourself um, as a sex worker online. Huh. Um, yeah. Anyway, what a strange choice. Of, of, the, of the theories you can have, I will say that is one of the li- least likely. <laughs> oh, John, I know. But John asks, support your accountants. John asks him. For real. John asks him uh, what his name is. And he says, do you know, it's the darndest thing. I can't remember. 
Tell me your damn name and where you know me from. I know you from Mexico. I know you from back out west. Hell, I know you from all over. Tell me your name or I won't be responsible for my actions. Oh, but you will. You will be responsible. This is a fine spot. I'll see you around. And he turns his back. John shouts, damn you! And he says, yes, many have. And He's as, the devil! And as the man walks away from John, John shoots at the man's back. The bullets don't seem to touch him, and he walks away. It's the fucking devil. I mean, it's interesting. I was right the whole time. I find that very interesting. Inter- yeah. Isn't that interesting? That's very that they, interesting. That they think that, yeah. Interesting. Anyway. Interesting. <laughs> That's, yeah. Um, Back in town, John finds McDougal staring into his Microsoft. His Microsoft? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Bill Gates descended upon the the early frontier world, bringing gifts of PC. Still early, Neil. We've got like four more games. Oh, no. Back in town. Sorry, I made a mistake there. Okay. John finds McDougal staring into his Macintosh. His Macintosh? I like that. Very good. His yeah. Microsoft. His microscope. <laughs> Hello, sir. He says, his name's Harold, by the way, if that makes it easier. than McDougal's easier to remember, I think. Yeah. Hello, sir. Mr. Marston, sir. Good day. Good day. How are you? Well, my family's health and well-being are being threatened by some scrupulous government agents, and, oh, and my hard-won freedom is under duress. Um, but these problems aside, I suppose I'm fair. Yes, the problems of civilizing nomads. Tell me, sir, are you from North Stock? Not as far as I know. I was raised in an orphanage. My father was Scottish. Unfortunate. You'd make an interesting case for my theory of natural population characteristics. Oh, I thought he was saying it was unfortunate that his father was Scottish. I'm like, oof! We can read it that way if you want. Yeah. Um, Screw you, McDougal. Yeah. Marston says, why is this interesting? He says, why, yes, a white man, obviously, but, but with a savage spirit. Trust me, sir, I mean savage in the best possible sense. Natural nobility, but also simple. Yeah, he's the worst. Um... I, this is good, though. He says, pure. I've been looking at some blood samples through my microscope, and you know what? No. Ah, well, of course you don't. It's a remarkable breakthrough. I've been looking at the blood of both natives and white men of corresponding height, weight, and age. You know what? They're exactly the same. It's oh. remarkable. Well, it refutes. Surprise. It completely refutes my last book. But I'll tell you. This sabbatical in the field may have been somewhat forced on me by circumstance, but my scholarship has benefited enormously. Would you like to partake of a syringe of cocaine? I've qu- <laughs> I'm sorry, what? What's happening? He says, oh, he is high the whole time. He says, John says, Honestly, him being a cokehead makes this make so much more sense. He says, it's a remarkable drug. It entirely restores the ego. Take one back to a primal state. Helps my thinking enormously. Oh, Nastus, come, come in, come in. And then he sort of says, Nastus, you remember we we helped rescue um, from the boat. And McDougall starts doing these sort of gestures and starts speaking to Nastus. He goes, um... Would you like to take off your slippers or skin a rabbit? I know we cannot see the stars, but my heart is pure and we meet as equals. Oh, he turns back to John and says, these savages must be spoken to simply in metaphors. Nastus says, no, sir, I grew up in a reservation and attended school. Yeah. Nastus cannot stand him. He goes, oh, I love you. I can show you what you want to see. I know the group of bandits you seek are where they're hiding. 
says they say Vanderlyn has attracted a following of young men in the reservation. Harold says the savage heart can cannot be conventionally civilized. I was right all along. No. Nastus tells us where we can find Dutch and we ride out together. Um, Does McDougal die? I don't remember McDougal at all from my playthrough. Can we shoot him? Um, so McDougal says he's interested in you Dutch. shoot him, but the bullets pass right through. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're all the devil. <laughs> and McDougal say, says Vanderlyn fascinates him, a white man living among natives. And eventually we arrive at Tall Trees, which is the, the sort of forest which we get to at the end of two. Uh, Harold says, I really need my room. I explore, explore with my mind, Mr. Marston. Nastus says, enjoy this while you can. Soon your people will have cut down all these trees. Me? Or are you making a sweeping statement about the white man in general? Nastus says there's no respect for the land anymore. Harold says, I'm sensing some hostility, Nastus, some anger. Talk me through this primal emotion and where it's coming from. Nastus sighs and says, don't worry about it. They arrive at the cliffs, hitch their horses, and McDougal promptly decides he wants to ride back to Blackwater because stuff might be getting real. Nastus and John climb up a cliff, coming across an old mine shaft. A miner jumps out of the woodwork and is killed by Nastus, but Nastus is shot. Not bad, just like in the arm. Mm. Um, so John tells him to stay behind uh, while he goes on and looks for Dutch. Marston climbs up alone. He kills a scout, takes his binoculars, and spies down at Dutch in a camp. Dutch is executing a sort of uh, informant, or a lawman, I think. He's shooting him in the head. John looks away, puts the binoculars back up in time to see. Dutch has seen him. Ah. Uh. And Dutch shoots him. He basically, what happens here is Dutch shoots the like binoculars, which knocks John out. Um, so John's at the top of the hill. Wow, good shot. Collapsed. Yeah, good shot. Uh, John wakes up back in Blackwater. He's been rescued by Nastus um, and brought back to the office. Interesting that Dutch didn't kill him. I don't know if Dutch thought he did, because he kind of shot him in the head from uh, his perspective. John recovers the next day and finds Harold in his office on a cocaine trip. <laughs> Mr. Marston, sir, it's good to see you all being good to see you. You too, Professor. Forgive me, I'm in a state of remarkable agitation, partly due to standard narcotic impulses, but also due to the fact I finally solved the riddle that has tormented my mind these past eight years. The nature of the savage soul. What makes some societies great like ours and others, not worse, I would never use a pejorative such as that, but, but, but lesser. <laughs> <laughs> So much better. <laughs> the, 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 he's such a horrible, creepy little man, but like the writing for him is so funny. Yeah. I really, really enjoy this. The, clearly, someone there is like just every line of dialogue is ripping the piss out of people yeah. like this. It's very good. He talks about how messed up his head is on cocaine, basically, the, the come downs, etc. Um, and we uh, go on another mission with him and Nastus, which I'll skip over. It goes badly, and by the time we get back the next day, the professor tells us he's leaving to go back to Yale. He's not cut out for this. I thought he got expelled from Yale. He said, they're all fucking savages. Marson says, I think we all are. Not me, sir. I am from Connecticut. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a professor at Yale. I write books. I do not deserve to die out here. Where's my tincture? Oh, yes, he takes some cocaine. You okay, professor? Dandy, sir. Dandy. We hear a gunshot outside. Dandy, because of my candy. (laughs) (laughs) We... (laughs) We hear a voice shouting from outside. Is that you, John? Hello, Dutch. I think that's what they call two for a price of one out here in this wonderful place. Maybe so, Dutch. You and your friend, the professor, we're going to kill both of you. Why would you want to do a thing like that? I don't know. Sport, I guess. (laughs) 
Christ. <laughs> oh, I still love Vanderlyn. Yeah, yeah. He says, why don't we let the professor go and your boys can get back to their families? Well, that sounds like a beautiful plan, John. Only problem is, my boys here, they already lost their families a long time ago. We ain't thieves, John. We're fighting for something. Bit like you, only we're fighting for an idea, not just ourselves. So, we, for some reason, don't throw uh, Harold straight out the window to Dutch, which is what I would have done. Uh, <laughs> but we help him escape across the rooftops. Like, why didn't you just shoot Dutch? Your building's completely surrounded. You're kind of on the you know, in an office. And... He was in a window! Yeah, but if he steps into the window, boom, boom, boom. He's like ten men yeah, there like with rifles on him. He's forgotten he has time magic, okay? <laughs> so, you're a wizard, John. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh... We, for some reason, help Harold escape, and he uh, he says, You know, I dreamed of documenting the last days of the Old West, the romance, the honour, the nobility, but it turns out it's just people killing each other. <laughs> John says it always was, Professor, and the Old West ain't quite dead yet. He pisses off on a train, thank God. McDougal gone. We head back over to Ross Narcher, and he goes, Where's my family? <laughs> Please. <laughs> and uh, Ross dresses him down. He says, I know it's tough. You like Dutch. He's a charming fellow. That makes sense. He's just like one of those nature writers from Brack East. Only he gets things a tiny, takes things a tiny step too far. Rather than just loving the flowers and the animals and the harmony between man and beast, he shoots people in the head for money. Now, I'm no great intellectual, but the metaphysical leap from admiring the flower to shooting a man in the head because he doesn't like the flower is a leap too far. I know it's easy. See, we, me and Archer, we're the bad guys. We enforce the rules. Now, while the rules not be perfect, may, may not be perfect, they're really not so bad. What's the alternative? I'll tell you. It's not complicated. It's about one man and his gun versus another man. Civilization may be dull, but the alternative, Mr. Marston, is hell. And the way you enforce civilization... This freedom for man to like or not like flowers or whatever in God's name you were just talking about is to <laughs> kidnap a man's wife and son? Well, I know there's contradictions. I'm not going to lie to you. As I said, I'm no great intellect. Now, after the debacle with the army and the bank, we have to put Mr. Vandalin to rest ourselves. We ride into the wilderness. We are joined by men from the army. And we come across Dutch's fortress in the mountains. Dutch has built himself oh this God. kind of... Uh, With a uh, lot of skulls? Yeah, a lot of death imagery here. He built himself uh, a sort of wooden fortress in the mountains, uh, which we storm. <clears throat> Ross says that Governor Johns will be very happy when they kill Dutch. Marston says, Nate Johns, what you got to do with any of this? Ross says, let's just say he has a vested interest in cleaning the filth out of this region. Oh, uh, he also right, says, sorry. I don't think our old friend Dutch realises what a great favour he's done us. I hate this. Yeah. <laughs> so we storm the fortress, um, blowing it up, fighting our way through, bang, bang, bang. We've got the army at our backs, and it ends up one-on-one. -on -one. We chase Dutch through uh, through the fortress, then into the mountains. Why is he through shirtless this whole time? He's not. It's just a peach-coloured shirt. It's the I think it's the contrast on this screen makes it. It is. It's a peach. You can see the sleeves there and there. It's just a... Anyway. Um, <laughs> we chase Dutch through the mines, up and up through the side of the mountain. <laughs> Looks like it's you and me, John. You should have stayed at home working for the government, John. After all I taught you, I'm ashamed. I don't have a choice. 
There's always a choice. You're just too blind to see. They continue their chase. Bang, 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 bang. Eventually, Marston chases him through the tunnels and walkways, emerging together on the edge of a cliff high up in the mountains. End of the line. How the mighty have fallen. Like, look at Dutch Vanderland. Yeah, he's bleeding. He's holding himself. Um, John has him cornered. Um, real end of the line stuff here. He turns round. Hello again, John. Hello, Dutch. <laughs> like how every conversation starts that way. <laughs> Dutch says, we gotta stop meeting like this. Meeting? Yeah. Been talking to each other for the past two hours? No, the top of a mountain with John pointing his gun at him <laughs> by the end of RDR2. That's a, that's a really clever retcon you've done there, actually. That really is. I'm quite impressed. Dutch says, I've got a plan, John. Yes! John says, you always had a plan, Dutch. Dutch says, oh, this is a good one. And he throws down his gun. Marston says, I don't doubt it. We can't fight nature, John. We can't fight change. We can't fight gravity. We can't fight nothing. My whole life, all I ever did was fight. Then give up, Dutch. But I can't give up neither. I can't fight my own nature. That's the paradox, John, you see? Then I have to shoot you. When I'm gone, they'll just find another monster. Because they have to justify their wages. That's their business. Our time has passed, John. And he falls back, throwing himself off the edge of the cliff to his death. Bye. <laughs> Later. That is um, almost exactly a beat for beat of the scene in Red Dead Redemption 2 when he's with Arthur and they're cornered by the Confederates. Yes. So he, it's basically he, the same speech. Well, he, it, he, there's elements of it the same. He says you can't fight nature, you can't fight gravity, and they jump off. And that speech is also about him saying, I fought my whole life and, you know, it doesn't seem to be getting anywhere. Um, but, yeah, rather than be killed by John Dutch... Uh, throws himself off a cliff. So he arrests one, shoots one, and he, he kills Dutch, but he doesn't kill Dutch. You know, it's not his, his bullet. Uh, later on, uh, Ross finds us at the bottom of the cliff, standing over the body of uh, uh, John's father, really, in a lot of ways, you know. Ross says, so you didn't have the guts to shoot him? The man's dead, Ross. Sure, can I see your gun? He takes John's gun and shoots Dutch's body. Trust me, it looks better in the report that way. <laughs> yeah, he's a real prick. John says, where's my family? Ross says, your wife was killed in a prison riot last week. Then he says, I'm only joking, dear boy. Oh, yeah. We sent them back to that scrabble ranch of yours in Beecher's Hope. They're quite safe. Marston, finally, job done, rides home back to Beecher's Hope for the first time in a long time, where he is greeted... By Abigail. Aww. And Jack. Oh! <laughs> John says, Oh, darling, I never thought I'd see this day again. And she hits him a bunch of times. <laughs> and she goes, You no good hillbilly piece of shit. I thought you were dead, John. Where you been? Where you been? You saw Dutch, didn't you? She says, Yeah, I saw him. And Bill? Yeah, I saw him too. <laughs> and she kind of smiles to herself and goes, You didn't go back with him. And, uh, yeah, and he says, no, I don't, I left that life, just as you left yours. Um, she, he asked how they treated her. She said, you know, they, if they ever tried anything, I wasn't so ladylike, and they never tried it again. Um, how's the boy? 
you know, he's a kid growing up without a father, she says. Mm. And uh, Jack comes over and they embrace. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Jack is in the middle of saying coyotes ate all the chickens and the poachers took the cattle I tried father I tried I know you did son I know uncle emerges don't you go blaming me boy don't you go blaming me John says I ain't blaming no one old man but since you're still alive there's four mouths to feed and no cattle well it's a nice way to greet somebody why don't I get a warm and tender embrace I got the lumbago. <laughs> Why does he look better in this game than he did in the last game? <laughs> Do you think? It, he does look a bit more sprightly in this game, yeah. So, uh, we have no cattle uh, at all. So the next day, John takes Jack over to the McFarlane Ranch, um, where Drew McFarlane uh, uh, lets us buy some of his cows. He's still such an angry-looking man. He's standing there with his fists, like, either side, just scowling at John's horse. As they're riding uh, to the McFarlands and back, Jack says, Where were you all that time? Where'd you go? What'd your mother tell you? Said it was important government business. It's about right. Some people thought I owed them favors. Why did they take us? They uh, thought it wasn't safe for you here by yourselves. Did those men harm you? I know they're okay. Some told me stories. Think I'd like to be a government man someday. Or or maybe a politician. John says, I'd rather you chose an honest profession. I know I ain't been the best father, Jack. I made some bad choices. But all that, that life, it's over now. Pa, was it something to do with Mr. Dutch and Bill while you went away? Kept hearing their names, that's all. Yeah, I, I caught up with Bill and Dutch. We had some old business needed settling. Where are they now? They're gone, son. We won't see them again. They were angry at you, weren't they? That's why we had to leave. They was just good men turned bad. I'll explain it to you one day. Jack asks what that makes him. John says, I guess I'm a bad man who tried to be a good father. I don't know. Every man has the right to change, a chance of forgiveness. Ain't that what the good book says? You never read me the good book, sir. (laughs) Well, I imagine that's what it says. So, you ready to learn about herding cattle? So, Does John know how to herd cattle? Um, later, Jack, he does, yeah, yeah, he does, yeah. Jack says he wants to be a, a, a businessman uh, now, and he says, well, yeah, I thought you wanted to be a writer. I can be both a rich industrialist who writes novels about the Old West on the side. And then it zooms out to the cover of a book titled Red Dead Redemption. Uh, <laughs> um, back at home, Abigail is in the kitchen preparing dinner. Uh, for her boys. John says, what you cooking? Same thing I've been cooking for the past 15 years for the hope of poisoning you. (laughs) Ain't working so well yet. This is how they flirt, by the way. Mm. Not yet. Be honest, though. It tastes bad enough to kill a man. I never was much of a cook. Given what we was and what we came from, I look at Jack, I look at him, I think we've been blessed. Maybe he can be something more. John says, he's a good kid. He can be whatever he wants to be. He ain't gonna be no frontier gunslinger. Killing running no gang, though. That way's over. Railroads, government, and motor cars, and everything gone done away with all that. Abigail says, and he ain't gonna marry no orphan girl What running with a bunch of hucksters, neither. Marson says, if he meets one like you, I hope he'll marry her. Aww. For an illiterate gunslinger, you sure know how to make a girl blush. <laughs> <laughs> um, the next day, we get a telegram. Abigail says, John, we got a telegram from a lady friend of yours. A Bonnie or something or other? Something you ain't telling me? 
Oh, you two are in the habit of sending each other letters now. How very nice. <laughs> uh, she's clearly, like, mocking him. It's, she's not being serious. Um, the telegram said the McFarlane's had a problem with their corn, like their stock of corn. Are so we finishing the game off with just a bunch of farming again? We, uh, <laughs> we, uh, I've, I've skipped over a lot of farming here. We, uh, <laughs> there was a moment playing Red Dead 2 when you hit that farming epilogue where a lot of players who played Red Dead 1 kind of went, oh, okay, we're just doing this then? And yeah. then it goes so much longer than you expect. Red Dead 1 doesn't have it be that long. No. Um, so, we load up the truck with some corn for the McFarlands. Abigail says, wait, I changed my mind. I'm coming with you. Come on, let's get going. She oh. wants to meet this Bonnie. Yeah. yeah. Um, while we are riding there, she says, you were off cavorting with cowgirls in the next country, where you, John? In the next county, where you, John? You only just got home. Um, so is she married, this Bonnie McFarlane? <laughs> he goes, no. What does she look like? I don't know. Pretty normal, I guess. And she goes, normal? What, normal like me? What? No, normal is in two eyes and mouth and nose. Besides, ain't no woman as fine as you. A little flattery. Now we're getting somewhere. And John says, well, when you find yourself in a hole, the first thing to do is stop digging. John literally just killed three of his oldest associates and friends (laughs) to save her. And she's like... So you've been cheating on me? <laughs> I think this is mostly teasing. Like, she teases him mercilessly. That's very much their vibe. It's cute. Yeah, it is cute. Yeah. He says, I never took you for the jealous type, Abigail. I ain't so much jealous as curious. You heard what she wrote. It's just corn. She saved my life and was decent enough. Uh, decent enough to look after me. Tell He tells her about Bill and everything that happened. She asks him how Bill was when they saw him. Same as he ever was. Angry and dumb taking his revenge out in the world. People down there was really scared of him. Of Bill? Abigail says. You gotta be kidding me. He was only frightening if you were afraid of dumb fools. They finally arrive at the ranch. Bonnie says, thank you. We lost the entire harvest, basically. He says, I'd like you to meet my wife, Abigail. Bonnie says, ain't you a gentleman all of a sudden? Pleasure to meet you. Thank you for saving my husband's life, says Abigail, and for teaching the miserable old goat some manners. They spend the next couple of minutes just ragging on John, the two of them, basically. Um, so uh, it's, like, it's like, and I can say this because I have a sister, but um, it is very much like introducing your significant other yeah, to your yeah, sister. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> like if, if they hit it all. Yeah. Yes. Every time, every time for me, uh, when my fiance and my sister are together. Um, so... We ride off, uh, we say goodbye to Bonnie um, uh, after John has been sort of like bullied relentlessly. At one point he's like, I've never been so outnumbered. (laughs) (laughs) And as they drive off, Abigail was like, that was the vainest Bonnie. Yep, she's pretty. She's normal, like I said. Um, And uh, as they ride off, uh, the camera lingers on Bonnie, um, sort of watching this couple in love leave. And she sort of looks very lonely for a minute and kind of kicks the dirt. Oh, because um, oh. you know she has she's been herself by herself for a long time uh, yeah they get back at the ranch they have a big old kiss Yay. over the next few days Jack starts to warm up to his dad again it's been a bit awkward but they're getting there they hunt together uh, I think John rescues him from a bear um, Jack seems excited about continuing to build the ranch and the relationship with his dad he's still insecure that his father will leave them again unannounced One day, John tells Jack, try not to grow up too fast. You've got your whole life to figure it out. Uncle continues to wind John up wherever he can, including helping John with some wild horses. Oh, so Uncle is helping. 
Where he can. He helps once, specifically. Because he's got the lumbago. One day. (laughs) (laughs) That was spot on. (laughs) One day, John finds Jack working in the barn. John says, you know, you're real good with them tools. You make this land real nice one day. Me and your mother, we do our part. But when your time comes, hell, this could be the nicest farm in the county. He says, maybe, Pa. They talk about shooting. It's quail season coming up, and John wants them to go out and have fun together. Jack says, is there anything you don't like shooting, Pa? Well, I ain't met the thing yet, but soon as I do, I'll let you know. (laughs) You can even put it in one of them books you read. Maybe I'll do that. The day John Marston stops shooting. I ain't no literary man, but I don't think that'll sell. People like shooting in them things. You might be right there, Pa. So, uh, John's trying to make conversations. You ever hear talk about them fly machines? You know, make a man fly? Sure, Pa, everyone knows about that. You know they're going to bring one of those machines to the county next year for a demonstration? One of those machines could turn men into angels. Outside, Uncle shouts for us to come outside. He spotted something through his spyglass. John, come here quick. Take a look. John looks. We don't see what he sees through the spyglass. He grabs Jack, hugs him, tells him to get in the house, lock the doors. Whatever you do, don't come outside. You hear me? Whatever happens. Jack says, okay. Keep the doors locked. Promise me some. Jack says, who is it, Pa? He says, just some old friends. Me and Uncle take care of it. Now go inside and keep the windows and lock the doors locked. I hear you. Run, boy. The two men are alone, Uncle and John. Well, old man, looks like things is about to get settled once and for all. Uncle says, so it seems. How are you not dead? <laughs> well, uncle. No, who I'm assuming is inevitably going to pop up next frame. Sorry, very quickly, Chase. Who do you think is about to pop up? No, we'll, we'll, we'll see if I'm right. No, no, I want you to make your, 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 your theory. No. No, because I, I, I know, I know. What's the purpose of the podcast? Okay, fine, fine. Yep, sure, no problem. I, listeners, he's definitely thinking that Dutch is about to arrive. Swarms of government soldiers descend okay to be fair that was it was dutch in my head but there was also a little bit where i'm like the pinkertons are going to come kill him swarms of government soldiers descend on the ranch uncle and john kill waves of them together Um, and they fight their way onto the porch and are joined by jack despite his parents protests pa what do they want i don't know son whatever it is it ends here look how many they are they're gonna kill us aren't they during the next wave of attacks, Uncle is shot in the chest and goes down. Aww. He props himself up against the... Got him right in the lumbago. In the lung bago, by the looks oh, of it. Very good. John says, hang in there, Uncle. I'm going to get you out of here safe. Once they defeat the kind of most recent wave, they go over to him. And uh, Uncle says, you and me both know I'm not going to make it off this porch anyhow. You take Jack and Abby. Take them. Don't worry about me. Get out of here. They retreat inside, and Uncle passes away. Aww. Rest in peace. John tells his family to get to the barn. They meet up there, and while John sort of holds off the soldiers, they get the horses ready. Jack is also helping John shoot the men by this point. John says, listen, Jack, darling, get on this horse. Get out of here. Go and find some place to hide. You're coming with us, Pa. I'll catch up. Keep riding. Don't look back. Don't be worrying about me, you hear? You stay out of trouble, John. Ain't no trouble, Abigail. Ain't no trouble. I love you. Now go on, get. And he gives her a kiss. Mm. And they ride off. John goes to the other side of the barn to the double doors. And he peeks through 
to see a whole line of soldiers outside waiting for him. He takes a moment to himself, steps back, steadying himself, taking a breath, then pushing through the barn doors like Aragorn in the Twin Towers. <laughs> Two Pinkerton agents are standing behind the line of soldiers. Time slows as John draws. <laughs> and we are playing all of this. Yeah. Yeah. He manages to shoot maybe half a dozen of the men before he's riddled with bullets. The shooting stops as he makes his last stand. Does he at least get the two Pinkertons? No. God damn it. Before dropping to his knees, Mr. Ross pulls out a cigar and lights it, and John collapses to the ground dead. The men turn their backs and walk off. Um, Abigail and Jack, hearing the commotion, come back and find John's body and weep over it. Later, we see them standing over a grave. The grave reads John Marston. 1873 to 1911, loving husband and father, blessed are the peacemakers. As Jack stands by his mother. That's a Dutch line. Blessed are the peacemakers. And, uh, yeah. Um, I find it very interesting that, um, it's, it's just a shout out to a quality comment. When you covered Red Dead Redemption 2 and you covered the building of the ranch, mm. you mentioned as a throwaway line. The barn. Um, yeah, like there's also a barn, but they build a barn too, but it's not important. Yeah, the and barn. Yeah. there was a comment, because obviously it's the barn where John dies. And there was a comment, a really good comment where it quotes you yeah. saying that. And it basically goes, yes, a barn. Certainly not important. Side <laughs> eye. <laughs> people were waiting. Yeah, people knew. Post credit. We seem to flash forward in time. The, the heads, the sort of cross on the grave of John Marston is now a few years older and cracked and warped. We see a man standing at the grave. He puts on a hat, turns toward us and walks away from his mother and father's grave. Abigail is now buried next to her man. Abigail Marston. She didn't last longer? No, three years. That Always in our long. hearts. So yeah, this is Jack. He looks every inch the gunslinger. So where's Red Dead 3? Well, this this is made... People hated this um, because the idea was they wanted to run around the open world as John because you get committed to John. Jack's here so you can still run around the open world. Jack can't... Well, no, Jack's not... No, he's still, Jack, he's Jack's, still going. Jack's, Jack's, yeah. Jack's not here for that. Um, you can mop up any side questions, but if you've still got them open, I don't know why you would. Like, uh, you would want to do it all as John. When he is in the open world, we can hear that Jack is a very angry young man. There is a lot of pain and vengeance in his voice when he speaks. In Blackwater, he finds a man and asks him if he works for the government. Sure, son, why'd you ask? Do you work for a man named Edgar Ross? I have something for him. Um, he goes to a cabin where he's referred, where he finds Edgar's wife. She says, oh, lovely Edgar, he's retired now. That husband of mine, the Bureau won't get its talons out of him. Must be why you're here. He and his brother Philip went hunting down south in the San Luis River. Be careful crossing over. They were saying it was dangerous. Eventually, Jack finds Ross at the fishing spot by the river shooting ducks. Just as Ross had found Jack all those years ago when he was fishing with his Uncle Arthur. Oh, Jack says, excuse me, you Edgar Ross? Do I know you? Forgive me for startling you, sir. I have a message for you. My name's Jack Marston. You knew my father. I see. I remember your father. I've come for you, Ross. You killed my father. Your father killed himself with the life he lived. You killed him. I saw you. You keep saying that. You sent him to do your dirty work, and you shot him like a dog. 
and I'll shoot you like one too, you little piece of trash. I ain't go nowhere, old man. On the banks of the river, they both draw. There he is. Jack blows Ross's brains out. Yes! And watches him collapse back into the river, the current washing him away. Jack turns away. The screen flashes red. <laughs> red Dead Redemption. <laughs> That's us. He got his Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> For me, that is a supremely sad ending. The Jack stuff specifically. Is there going... Are, are there any thoughts for Red Dead 3? Uh, yes, but they won't be... The, the, a lot of fans have this thing of like, oh, now it's 1914. We can do Jack in World War One. I. I saw it's this. Terrible. A terrible idea. What a terrible idea. I think you idea. have to go further back in time if you yeah. want to do anything else. You cover Uncle's glory days. He said he yeah. was like a great sharpshooter. <laughs> or re- realistically, you do Young Dutch. A lot, a lot of people want Young Dutch. Young Dutch. But yeah, I, I, it's a very depressing ending for Jack because um, he he is a gunslinger now. You know, he's he's. However, in one of the GTA games, we can find a book called Red Dead Redemption, written by a Jay Marston. So there's a theory that if this is a connected universe, maybe Jack did write the book one day. Um, But that's us. I was right! Yeah, I didn't know that. That's really cool. That's that's Red Dead Redemption 1. Um, Thoughts? I like it more than 2. Excellent. See, I knew you would. I like it more than 2. And I, I don't think that's a bad thing. I, I prefer to, but yeah. I, I can see why people would prefer to, but it's it's just it's a bit too serious for me. I I, I prefer I prefer stories that take themselves a bit less seriously. Yeah. This one's a bit sillier. Yeah, because all, all the silly stuff in two is like the, the supremely silly stuff, like the robot and the vampire and all that nonsense. There was a robot. Oh uh, yeah, a guy's trying to build a robot. It's not you that interesting. You skipped all the good stuff. <laughs> it, but all of, that's the point. All of that is the time traveler. All that is side quest stuff. Whereas in Red Dead 2, like, Seth is a ridiculous character, but you meet him in the plot. And that's important that you meet him because he's yeah. relevant for the Bill stuff. Yeah, the, the I there's a there's a song that plays called Dead Man's Gun after when the credits roll. Um is it, is it after Jack kills Ross or is it after John dies? Credits roll when Jack kills. So it's it's that and, and it's it's a gorgeous song and it rolls. And I remember like being if it was this twenty ten, I would have been fourteen. Um, 14 years old playing this like you know after Christmas basically and like just feeling this pit in my stomach because the 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 execution of John Marston the execution of the execution of John Marston is really well handled like the fact that you step out and as a 14 year old kid I was like no yeah I'm gonna kill them all fuck you you know boo, 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 boo. and the fact that you, you you think you've got them all and then you yeah. don't and it's just really well handled yeah um, for sure yeah Chase I want to ask you about the man in black. Yes. Because you thought he was the... De- you think he's the devil. Okay. So... I mean, alternately, the only other person I could see him being is God. But, historically, dude in all black, twirly mustache, you know, fancy suit, mm-hmm. gives you choice. It's, it's all very... It's Satan imagery. It's it's interesting because I never read him as overtly like bad in the sense of a satanic cre- uh, oh, creature. No, no, no. I just think of him as death. That's oh, just to, how I think. To of be him. fair, I don't I don't think. Of, I mean, and may, mayhaps this is me rebelling against Catholic upbringing and not thinking that Satan is inherently bad. Fair. And more that it is control versus choice. And uh, yeah, like him in this case, it fits all like the satanic imagery of. Somebody giving free will and giving choice, you know, and potentially leading you down paths that you shouldn't, but 
you know, leaving it up to you as to whether you go down that path. Neil, you're the Red Dead aficionado. Who do you think he is? I, when playing it through when I was younger, I always assumed it was God. Um, you know, speaking about being an accountant, um, you know, uh, yeah, speaking about, uh, you know, accounting, almost like accounting people's souls, mm. you can 100% make the argument it's the devil as well. Um, or death. I think I, either way, I think it's interesting how people perceive it. I, I always just assumed it was God when I was younger. Why death, though? Because if, if, if it was death, I would assume that you would see him at the end of the game he, as well. He, he appears towards mm. the end of John's life. He, um, in, in Red Dead 2, um, he appears in a picture and kind of becomes, in a picture frame, becomes more clear. We never meet him. But as Arthur's life is kind of wrapping up, he sort of appears in this picture frame over the course of the game. So I think it works for... for, for... I, I think my death and in, in interpretation is primarily just me not thinking about it with nuance like you are, Chase, which is just, oh, devil bad, God good, in the, you know, in the very Judeo-Christian sense. So as a result, but as a result, he's not either of those things. He is just, you know, amoral. He's he's right down the middle. He just pops up and says, "Hey, he maybe might, go try this be, out." He this might be happening. neither. He he's clearly an otherworldly mm. being. He talks about, "I hope my son ends up like you." You know. Uh, yeah, that is a weird line. That, that's, and that's one that some people take to mean God. You know. Um, but also, um, I hope Jesus is like John Marston. <laughs> <laughs> and there's there's also the um, the regarding Man in Black. It's the accountant, yeah, the counting souls I just think of as death, ferrying the souls. And also the line he says is so strange in that final conversation of this is a good spot. Because that that has relevance to something. Is it where Jack kills Ross? It's is where it? John gets buried. Where John gets buried. On the hill overlooking the farm. That's where John mm. is buried. So this is a good spot. He is, I should have made that clear. He is referring to this is the spot where John's going to be buried mm. for sure. Um, so it's it's more of an inevitability of death again is kind of part of my readings like you're going to die soon and this is where you're going to go yeah so that's that in hindsight the plot very much just feels like an extended epilogue of two though and I think that's just because the way we've we've gone through it at the time I was very satisfied with yeah, yeah. you're doing the revolution you're doing this but but in hindsight it just feels like one humongous epilogue well, like yeah, I, I think I think the structure of it being just you know essentially a chase yeah. across across the country is is okay. I don't think it holds up as a story in its own as well as two. Mm. But there is so much more fun. I will give that. There is there is there, the characters are are a little more exaggerated. Um, two does overall feel like a much more cohesive story overall, whereas this kind of feels like three individual stories. Uh, I agreed, yeah. It's almost like three Wild West movies bolted yeah, together. And like one... Javier, Bill gets the most, no, Dutch gets the most characterization out of your three antagonists, yeah. but... The other two hardly get any. Javier especially just pops up at the end yeah. of his little bit. But yeah, but that's Red Dead 1. Thank you, Neil. You're welcome. Really good. Uh, we're simply going to wrap it up there and before we go here's a little tease for the next episode because we are not done with Red Dead Redemption Moses is having a tough time right now ain't you pal what's going on we're playing cards relax sit down I mean with the undead walking the face of the earth you crazy dumb bastard what was your favourite part of that tease holy shit the pirates (laughs) oh my god (laughs) We knew they were coming. Yeah, um, yeah. I think they're saving ninjas for three. Can't wait. I really hope. So we're going to say goodbye, and we will see you in the next one. Thanks for listening. Bye. 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 <laughs>